Josh Weissman has completely changed the restaurant industry by taking everything they do and then making it better and cheaper. Today, we're getting an inside look on the secrets of the restaurant industry. They definitely do illegal sh in that in that world okay how you're able to make the best meals on a budget and how he was able to turn his passion for cooking into a multi-million dollar business but first we got to thank our sponsor aura as you might have noticed a lot of our guests have always talked about the importance of getting a good night of sleep and i always thought that I was sleeping just fine until Aura sent me their sleep tracking ring and then I realized how bad of a sleeper I guess I am and how many times I'm waking up in the middle of the night. So being able to track my sleep has been incredibly important and now I know exactly how much sleep I need, when I'm most likely to wake up and how I could optimize that just to feel better during the day. See, I always knew I was a bad sleeper but finally I can have a log of when I wake up throughout the night and how I can improve on my sleep. And since I've got the Aura ring and been able to track these stats, I've been able to drastically improve my sleep. There are hundreds of studies out there that directly correlate good sleep with productivity. But good sleep is a lot more complicated than the hours from when you lay down until the time you wake up. Sleep is broken down into four different stages, and Aura gives you a detailed breakdown of how much each stage you're getting and what you could do to improve. They also track your heart rate, heart rate variability, and oxygen levels when you sleep. Aura also has tons of other cool features like activity tracking, temperature variations, and more. So check out Aura with the link down below in the description. Thank you so much, Aura, for sponsoring this episode, and back to the podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Ice Coffee Hour. I'm Joshua Weissman, and I cook food. Welcome Joshua to the Ice Coffee Weissman. Hour. Welcome. What brings you out to Vegas? I was doing a little cooking thing with, uh, I don't know if you guys know Jean George. Uh, no. He's like a huge, so, I mean, a juggernaut in the chef space. This guy's, I don't even know how he's managed to do what he does, but he has multiple Michelin star restaurants. He has like 50 or 60 restaurants now. I studied him a bunch when I was a kid, and they randomly reached out. I was like, hey, Jean George, like, watches you, you want to hang out and like do some stuff. And so we came out and filmed the video. It was super fun. Can you tell you us about the him? video? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically the concept was, can I beat a Michelin chef? Uh, so we did like chopping competitions and like a bunch of other things. And we made like a plate. I had to like come up with a dish. He, he got to use one of the dishes that was already at the restaurant. So I felt a little disadvantaged there, sure. but uh, I came up with a dish and like put it together and we went head to head and you'll have to watch the video to see what happens. Who judges that though? Uh, we had uh, a bunch of blindfolded taste testers come in okay. and pick a dish. It was a, a steak dish. Now, so, how do you think you did going into it? Like before I got there? Yeah. Bef well, before you got judged. Mm. Like after you made the meal. You know, I hate to say it because everybody's usually like, God, Josh has a big ego. Well, you're right. <laughs> I walked in feeling just fine. <laughs> but, you know, I think that I will say that I think that there is an element to like being successful in a scenario like that, right? In the same way with, with athletes too, right? I'm not saying that I'm, you know, back to like an athlete. If I, I can run like two minutes and I'm done. Mm. But I think the mentality aspect helps me do well in scenarios like that, you know, high pressure. But um, I don't know. I felt fine. I felt like I was going to do well. I didn't know if I would win or not, but I didn't really care because it's like this guy's been cooking professionally and has had his own restaurant, an entire restaurant group for yeah. like 50 years. So, so how old is this guy? He's 60. Okay. And what does it mean, Michelin star? What is I, I? I always hear it, but I have honestly no idea what that means. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of a it's kind of a weird, mysterious thing. So we know Michelin tires. It comes from the tire company, guys. Does it Real really? Sorry. It, yeah, does. it does. It does. It's a hundred percent the exact same company. So I will say that there's a little bit of a weird element to it, but I think it took off where Michelin started a guide where they're like, okay, we sell tires. We want to incentivize selling tires. This is my assumption in there boardroom meeting here and they so they they decided okay well we'll make a system where we'll give a bunch of recommendations of great places to eat and bed and, bed and breakfast and whatnot for you to stop at along your trip using michelin tires no and that was kind of the the whole element of it 
but it, it became its own thing. So this is why I still respect it to an, to an extent. It became its own thing because people started desiring these sort of unattainable ratings where it was like one, two, three stars, right? And then it kind of fell into fine dining where it was, you know, one star is just for great food. Two stars is great food and great service. Three stars is like everything. It's like the symphony of a restaurant being utterly perfect from the bottom to the top. If someone drops a napkin, it gets picked up within a certain amount of time. If somebody like, you know, the forks and knives are always placed in the right spot every single time. Um, did the waiter or waitress check on you? And when they checked on you, how did they check on you? And like, it, it, it that's just a, a fraction of the level of intricacy that they look for um, and so it ended up becoming this really sort of difficult to acquire award and human beings love that so uh, <laughs> you know everybody's like oh well I want a Michelin star yeah. I'd love to have one as well so I mean I get it have you been to a three Michelin star restaurant yes uh, I've been to a couple different ones there's one I, I don't know if they still have three stars there's one in San Francisco called Saison so expensive yeah yeah How I much? mean easily eat Without drinks, like seven fifty a person. No, seven hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they're the most expensive Michelin restaurant in America because most on. I think their average tab is like a thousand a person or something like that. A person. Yeah. What do you get for a thousand dollars? I mean, it depends on where you go, but with oh, with saison. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you're gonna get like multiple, multiple courses, not five courses or six courses. Probably closer to twelve or maybe even fifteen. You might be dining for three or four hours. Are you serious? You're will get sweaty i'll tell you right now can i say that on this podcast yeah, you can say sweaty it. okay yeah. cool. uh great news so <laughs> yeah i mean some of these restaurants actually have rest areas so you'll go in and <laughs> i i love it personally it is gaudy as f but it is it is honestly so really fun what this is it's kind of like a spa you know you go to a spa right and it's kind of unnecessarily catered to you in a way where it's like they lift your arm and do everything for you. And they lift your arm for you. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm bringing up the concept <laughs> oh, okay. of a spa. Right. Imagine, right. <laughs> imagine the server just chewing the food for you. <laughs> nice. And, and, then, and then they baby bird yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly, exactly. And then they give you like a gift card. No. Um, so the concept is like you're catered to at every women in most scenarios. So like there are some places where you'd go and you'd eat for maybe an hour. And then they'd go, okay, cool. Now you're going to go over to the espresso bar. So they'll move you over. There's a rest area. There's some couches, like really nice modern couches. Maybe they have like something to read or whatever. They give you a small espresso and then maybe like a juice or something refreshing. Sit there for about 10 minutes. And then they'll escort you back to your table. And then they, your table's reset with different plates and different silverware for the next set of courses. Like it's like high, high, high fine dining. How often do people go to a restaurant like that? Is that like a once a month sort of deal? If you have the money or is it like once a year? That sounds exhausting to me. Yeah. I, <laughs> like I think it's much. more of like something you go and do every once in a while. Okay. You know, you go go-karting every once in a while. You go to the fancy restaurant every once in a while. So are most three-star Michelin restaurants like that where they have rest areas or is that just a one-off? I would say that's a that's not most of them. Okay. Most of them are like, you know, they're restaurants, but they're just really, really high-level food or really high-level cuisine. There's usually other elements to it, though. I mean, another comparison I could make is, um, i trying to remember the name of it, Eleven Madison. Do you, are you guys familiar with I've Eleven Madison? Of yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the largest three Michelin-star restaurants in the world. Mm. Typically, higher quality, less seats. They want consistency, they're gonna have less seats. Most Michelin restaurants are like 40 seats and under because they just don't wanna deal with like having to do shit of food like that. Yeah. 11 has like a couple, like I think 150, 200, something like that. Mm. They have 70 people on the line, 70 people, I or it might be 50 or 70, something like that, some ridiculous amount. Yeah. 
of people that are cooking, but their experience is very much like catered to you. Like sometimes I think one of my friends went and his dad is like, knows the community there pretty well. He went in and they were talking about F1 and they were having their meal and it, it was based off the menu, nothing mm. too crazy. And it was like a, like a 10 course menu or something like that, all vegetables. And the waiter overheard them talking about F1. And so for their dessert, they got a bunch of F1 inspired desserts and then got a F1 cookie of like a bunch of F1 cars, like as a gift to leave with in a little gift no. baggie. Isn't that the place where they like, they ask you about yourself and you tell them like your interests or whatever and then they can because i swear i heard about a michelin star restaurant that will like go figure out your interests so they know that they can converse with you about certain topics i don't i've actually never eaten at 11. <clears throat> i'm i'm only talking about someone else's experience i'm not 100 mm -hmm. sure but i mean sure. wouldn't be surprised if they did that but it, the point is like each experience is going to be different depending on the restaurant you go to you know some places might have a rest area some places might just be a restaurant and the food is insane you know the french laundry you go and you eat you leave but they yeah. usually give you like gifts and stuff like that when you leave. And wow. how much do the employees make? Do you know at these? Nothing. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to kind of get in the conversation of experience is, is, you know what I mean? I, back in the day when I was working, you know, as a young line cook, I would have taken pretty much any pay to work at any of these places. And that's how most people feel, but you'll find that there's not a ton of people that are able to do that because affordability, right? A lot of the people that are working at these places have one of two or three things. Either one, they have good friends that they can sleep on their couch and stuff like that. Two, they have money saved up and they can pay rent or or maybe they are paid well. Mm -hmm. It's getting better. There are places that pay enough to afford rent. But third, the higher the restaurant, some, sometimes they'll pay much less than you could imagine. And most people can't afford rent. Uh, like I wanted to work at this one restaurant that shan't be named. Uh, this was years and years and years ago. Um, three Michelin star in San Francisco. And they actually gave me a job offer because one of my chef, uh, old chefs knew them and he was like, oh, this guy's talented. Like he likes your restaurant. You should consider him. And they gave me an offer, but they were like, well, first you need to stage. And staging is like a unpaid internship. You come in for like a day or two and show them what you got and mm -hmm. then you leave and then they decide if they're going to hire you. Right? Yeah. They said that the stage is two months, two months, no pay, zero. They wanted me to work four days a week and stage two months in San Francisco as a line cook. How is that legal? They just call it something different, like an internship? I have no clue. Okay. I have no clue. They definitely do illegal shit in that, in that world. Okay. It is getting better and it's been getting cracked down on, I would say. Okay. So that's the good part. Um, but yeah. So that gives you an example of kind of like what uh, most of the people are going to be getting paid anywhere from 12 to maybe 17 an hour. Wow. But the servers make probably a lot, right? Because they're tips. Yeah. Sometimes they share tips, but it's rare. If they're not sharing tips, then yeah, servers make bank. Servers can make six figures yeah. pretty pretty easily. Yeah, we know a few servers here on the Strip who would easily make about 150 maybe as high as $200,000 a year, just working at a really high-end restaurant. Some of the tabs are insane. Yep. We went yeah. out to dinner last night. I'm not going to share where, but uh, you know where. But the table across from us got a $5,300 bottle, $5,300 bottle of sake. Just one bottle. $5,300. Oh that's insane. Yeah. So you could imagine the tip on top of that plus food, plus other drinks, plus everything else. Just yeah. two people. Yeah. Especially if it's yeah. like a large party, that's when it gets yes. crazy in some of these restaurants. One of the restaurants I worked at, there was, uh, I think it was like a 20 top that came in. So 20, 20 seats, 20 people sitting in <clears> seats. <throat> um, and they ordered all of the most expensive shit and the most expensive bottles of like wine and champagne. Let me tell you something, <laughs> whatever you're paying for champagne and wine at these restaurants, 
is like five to six hundred sure. percent of what it actually is. There was a bottle of uh, one of the restaurants I were, and I like I like the champagne, but it sold at the grocery store for. Well, actually, I'll tell you what we sold it for sure. first. All right. So the restaurant sold it for $75 a bottle, which is like not exorbitant. That's affordable for some people. But at the store, it's $12. $12 at the store selling it for $75. So. But, um, is that yeah. why they charge the corkage fees? So if you bring your own in? Yes. Because okay. they bring your own wine in? A lot of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they'll charge corkage fees so that they it's can usually like 30 bucks. Yeah. So it could be more than the cost it would take just to go Is that go per bottle, bottle or is that like per table? So like if you bring in like three bottles. I believe it's per bottle. Yeah, it's I per bottle. wrong. Wow. Yeah. So it's worth it if you bring in a really expensive bottle, like right, a $500 right. bottle, then you'll save a lot of money. Most restaurants are profitable, are profitable because of alcohol. That's why. Most of them. I'm not saying that that's the only reason. I'm just saying that the reason why they pass over margins and get like at least a decent payout is alcohol because food is tough to make profitable it's very hard you have to balance your menu there's like how much is your food cost what's your overhead etc cetera, etc cetera. how long does it take to make some of these things a lot of fine dining places uh are not profitable like there's a lot of michelin starred restaurants that are not profitable but mm. there's just somebody who has a lot of money that owns it wow but you know what, before we go into that, I want to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, StreamYard. You know, in the beginning stages, when it comes to making content, one of the best ways to figure out what works is to create as much as possible. And reducing that time is essential so you have more time left over to figure out what works best. Well, thankfully, StreamYard is one of the best ways to produce high-quality content right from your browser. StreamYard is a live streaming studio platform perfect for people looking to get into content creation without having to worry about all the editing, setup, and post-production that comes with it. You could stream directly to Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and several other platforms. They also make it easy to brand and customize your videos before you even go live. In addition to that, they allow you to multi-stream social media platforms so you can maximize your content's reach. Whether you want to start live streaming or just easily record new content, StreamYard makes it simple to get polished and professional content every single time. So if you want to get started, but you don't want to waste countless hours on production, setup, and editing, we couldn't recommend StreamYard anymore. So get started for free today by using the link down below in the description and start creating creating high quality content as soon as you finish the podcast, of course. So again, the link is down below in the description. And now let's get, get back, back to the, the podcast. Show. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. your personal background and your experience with being a chef. Where did you first find interest in cooking? And uh, yeah, a little bit about the timeline. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I feel like a lot of people don't believe me, but I started cooking when I was like four like four or five probably, like legitimately cooking regularly. My mom brought me in. My mom cooks a lot. She's from the South. She, you know, chicken fried steak and she's making ribs and she's making cream gravy and this and stuff. And, you know, she's amazing. Really yeah. very, very, very talented cook. Uh, and so that interested me. It was the one place I could go and make a mess. <clears throat> it was one place I could go and make a mess and just kind of like, you know, pick up a knife and chop up. In, in what other scenario as a kid can you do that, right? <laughs> Everywhere else, everybody tells you no, but the kitchen's the one place you could do that. So sure. that was exciting to me. Um, so I started doing that for a little bit. And my mom could tell I took interest in it. So she kept kind of like fueling the fire. She'd get me a little knife. She'd get me like a cutting board. And um, I think at around 10, I was like, this is definitely my thing. Cause I was good at it pretty much right out the gate. Um, and <laughs> it's funny. I feel like, especially now, actually like 10 year olds are very self-conscious about what they're going to be doing and what they're going to be. I don't know if you guys have like interviewed a 10 year old, but not I, yet, but, no. been, but, but like been around kids though, where they're talking like, you know, my, my, uh, fiance's, uh, cousins and stuff. And, and 
uh, nieces and nephews, like the way that they talk, I'm like, they're really stressed out about their future. You're like 10, bro. Um, I was as well. And so to me, I was like, I'm not good at a lot of other things. I'm really good at this. This is definitely my thing. And from then on, I had decided I was like, I'm going to figure out how to make this into something um, that is good. So by 10, you had that figured out. Yeah. What was it about cooking that drew you to that? I think it was, it was the element of something that I knew that I was way better at adults. And I knew, you know, my age, the age gap, yeah. I, my, my mind kind of went there. I think that there's something here and I want to be good at something. And I wasn't good at video games. Thank God. Um, and that was like the main draw is that I enjoyed it so much. And there was never a time that I was bored and I was good at it. Mm. And I knew that then. And I was, I think I didn't want to waste time trying to look for something else. Like, oh, is there something better out there? My mind was like, I could do this forever and always be happy. Yeah. So why would I do anything else? How did your parents foster that growth? Were they encouraging of you, like making your own lunch Ooh. or cooking dinners? That's a good question. They were extremely supportive. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it kind of behooved them, right? Because I, I cooked them dinner like every night. But <laughs> they, they I mean, love that. Yeah. But I'll give I'll give you some examples as to how they nurtured it, though, because they definitely did like more so than they had to. They spent a lot of money on like unnecessary, expensive things like kitchen knives and fancy equipment that I used like once and then threw in the garage. I was like, oh, cool, a weird little juicer thing, and then you know never used it again. On my 16th birthday, you know, got my license and all that. Mm. And I, I asked, they're, they're like, oh, what do you want? What do you want to get, you know, for your 16th birthday? And I was like, I just want like a whole pig. And my mom was like, no, absolutely okay. not. Like not, I mean, she was like cool with it in the sense of, yeah. I guess, but she really didn't want to deal with it. She's like, all right, let me see if I can find something else. My dad went ahead and got it. And then, so she didn't know. And I'm like in the kitchen and my mom walks, it was like 6 or 7 p.m. My mom was like out doing other stuff. She comes in and I'm like midway like <laughs> with a bone saw. No. Cutting the leg off this pig. It, it's dead for the record, everybody. Yeah. Just so you, you know. Um, where do you buy a pig? Like a full farm. pig? Yeah. Is you it find gutted the farm. at all or no? It's well, well obviously usually. Be, okay. You, yeah, usually. It would be, you can't. Uh, <laughs> just plop it down. Like, like in, from an animal butchery standpoint, yeah. you cannot show up with like an un taking care of pig. Cause like you have to kind of like get that stuff out of there. You don't want to let Got it sit. It. Okay. Yeah. So it was already like gutted and everything. And like the hair was like, but you not know, torched cooked. off. No, it was a, the hair was torched off. Yeah. So it was like burnt and it everything? was bald. It was like a naked giant, naked mole rat. Gutted. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> and that was your sure. 16th birthday present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but why, why did you want a pig? I went, so I wanted yeah. to learn how to do whole animal butchery. I think, I, you know, at 16, I had done a lot of research by then. Ten, at, from 10 to 16, I was like doing exorbitant amounts of research. I bought every book I could possibly buy. I read every single one of them several times. I tried as many, I probably cooked like, geez, like two or three different things out of a book every day mm. from 10 to 16. Um, I say every day, you know, maybe there were a couple of days where I didn't, mm. but the point is it was, it was a lot. Uh, and I realized, I was like, man, how are people, you know, butchering these animals? Google it. Well, animal butchery. Oh, cool. There's all this information. Well, how am I supposed to put this to use without a whole pig? That was basically it. Whole pig's expensive. It was yeah. like $1,000. $1,000 for a pig. Yeah. It was a, like a heritage breed hog. And why do you need a heritage breed hog? Is that just like a better quality thing? meat? Yeah. Way better quality meat. Um, and then also just like, I don't know, sustainability. And I, I don't know if you're going to like break down a whole pig. Do you really want like a 
quality pig or do you want like the nice stuff, you know, something sure. nice, high quality flavor, good intramuscular fat and all that stuff. How do you cook such a big pig? Is there like a, a special? I'm curious about that. You can't put that. Graham is really you, yeah, into you put that in the oven? I'm just trying to visualize. Yeah, you just slap that bitch in the oven and it's really? done. Yeah. Wait, Sign yeah. No, you can't. I'm not, just not completely. You yeah. cannot. Okay. Dude, this yeah. thing like, would take up this whole <laughs> table. Have you, you cannot. Here, I'll tell you this. Yeah. You can't pick this thing up by yourself unless you're you're really strong. It's like carrying a dead body. Not that I know what that's like, Yeah. for the record. So how did you cut it? Did you put it on a table and like? Yeah, so I had to take two huge, actually it was, I took four huge, um, like, but you know those butcher block boards, the really big ones? Yeah. And like basically shingled them all together, put the pig on it. And then, you know, I, you know, I have to kind of like break all the limbs down, take the legs, take the head, all the other things. And then you start breaking down the primal cuts of meat, which are like those really big pizzas. So pork chop comes from a whole primal cut of meat. It's like an entire, um, like where there's multiple chines of bones and it's like this entire roast that you slice pork chops from. Yeah. Same thing with beef, it's basically it. So I broke it down into like different cuts and we got, my parents had to buy a chest freezer to put it all in there. So you can see how supportive they were. I mean, like most parents in that scenario would be like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. So they dealt with a lot for me uh, to make that happen. Was that hard for you at all to like, like actually be visually seeing like, because personally for me, I know if I had to like kill or like look at the food before it was yeah. actually just a steak on my plate, I know it sounds so terrible. I know a lot of people also like feel this way. I wouldn't be able to eat it. I totally. Do I don't think so. Yeah. I totally get it. I've They're seen the, the pig, the pig head yeah, and seeing like, the meat too. I can't do it because I see the pig. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's funny. I think that makes complete sense. I think that's also like a very natural human reaction. I also felt that way, but it's sort of like you have a goal and you're gonna grind to get to that goal. And so my, my mentality was like, man, this is a lot. When I first saw it, initially there was a little bit of a shock factor. I mean, it's, a, it's an animal. But in my mind, I'm like, look, I really want to get good at this. Like I have to learn this stuff and I have to know how this works. I, how, can I, how can I call myself like a professional that cares about what I do and not know where these things come from how to care for them. And I will say one thing, it's built up the respect that I have for the food when I cook it. That's why I, I, I don't up when I'm cooking. Like my initial thought is this came from an animal, the animal had to die for this. And there's, there's a whole sort of ethics behind being, you know, a chef, so to speak. And I think giving respect to the ingredients is only gonna be earned when you really see that and you understand that. So there's that aspect and, but you know, I was willing to deal with it to learn it. Um, but I won't say that I loved it. You know, it's not yeah. like I was there, like, <laughs> you know, carving this pig up, like, with a smile on my face. Your face. I, I was definitely, there were some yeah. parts where I was just like, man, this is a little bit much. Taking the head off was was rough. It was, it was tough for me the first time I did it. Yeah. After a while, you get desensitized and you don't really care. That I'll say. Like, if you start butchering whole animals in a restaurant, which I, I never did, um, but there were, there were a couple of restaurants I worked for that did whole animal butchery and you see it so often mm -hmm. that when someone slings a pig over their shoulder, two guys sling a pig over their shoulder, then carry it in. It's not really a big deal. You know, you see it every single sure. day. But <laughs> one of my first restaurants that I worked in, I walked in and they had a whole pig that they had roasted, the whole thing. And, uh, <laughs> and one of the line cooks comes up to me and he had the head in his hand after it was roasted. And he's like, He's like, look, man, we just roasted this. And I was like, oh, uh, I literally just got it. It's a little too much for me right now, man. And then the jaw just kind of went like, and then <laughs> fell off. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Yikes. All yeah. right. There you so, go. Welcome to Horror yeah. Hour. 
How long did it take you to eat the whole pig? I, I imagine that you just served this over many weeks. Probably months. Really? Yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot. And I mean, we froze it all. Yeah. Um, so some of it I made, I made like bacon. I like cured the pork belly and then like smoked it and sliced it and made like actual like bacon. Mm. Um, I tried to cure the legs. They didn't really work. Um, we wrote, we made one of the legs into a ham, like a giant like ham. Sure. Um, and yeah, it took probably a few months, like six months. Okay. A lot. And then what about throughout high school? Were you working part-time at restaurants or were you just doing all of this for fun recreationally? It was all recreationally. I would cook for my parents, and my friends, but it did get to a point where I wanted to work in restaurants and they, they don't like, it's a big problem in the industry with like underage, uh, labor. You know, because like kids would come in and peel carrots. Like, oh, it's so fun. Can't do that anymore. So uh, I had to wait until I was like 18 to work in restaurants. When I moved to Austin was when I started working. And then, yeah, that was a pretty seamless transition of like, the one thing I was doing when I was a kid that I could get work doing is I was doing like food photography stuff. Anything I could do to get my hands on to making money <laughs> working yeah. in food, uh, I would do like food photography uh, for mag like small magazines or eBooks. Um, I'd help people do recipe development. I'd write recipes for people, edit recipes. Sometimes I would come on to sets and like be a studio assistant to style food, um, anything I could do. That's and what was your first yeah. job? It was working in a restaurant. Just like a, a what, like a line cook or something? Uh, usually your first time you start as a prep cook. So you're like chopping loads of vegetables. When I say a lot, I mean like a lot, like a hundred pounds of onions or wow. like, you know, there was, um, 300 oranges. And then you take the oranges and you peel every single one of them with a knife. And then you remove each individual segment from the orange, but 300 of them though. Yeah. This might seem like a silly question. Have you ever taken a cooking lesson or wanted to go to like a cooking college or like a school for this, like a culinary school? So Actually, I never went to school or college. Oh, well, let me rephrase that. I never yeah. went to college. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to culinary school either. I, I mean, you know, it gets to a point where I was just like, do I really need my parents to spend $100,000 for me to go to culinary school? Um, but I also tried applying to a couple of them and they all denied me. Why is that? I don't know. Um, I tried going to, there was one that I wanted, I guess I shouldn't name them, but I applied to some of like the most esteemed culinary schools that there are because I was like, I'm I'm good, like I can go here. Uh, and then I applied to some other ones that were local and I, I actually applied to a couple of colleges too. I did not want to go to either of them, mm -hmm. but I did it anyway because my parents were like, oh, come on, you know, they weren't pushing me too much, but they were like, you know, let's, let's do it. And all the colleges uh, did not admit me and none of the culinary schools admitted me. And I was just like, so where do I go? And my parents were like, oh, well, we'll just apply to some more. And then I was like, honestly, I'm good. And totally broke my mom's heart because my mom hasn't had anyone, uh, you know, on her side that's really gotten the chance to do that. And um, she would have been the first. And so she wanted me to do it. And so it was, it was kind of tough for a little bit for her, but she let, you know, she they didn't fight me on it, which was cool. Yeah. I really appreciated that. And that also goes to show like how much support comes into role, uh, into, into play here with this. But yeah, I mean, didn't go to college or culinary school for that reason. Wow. And so what was your experience then going from high school to then working full-time in the industry? Did that make it less fun for you, knowing that it's now a job? No. <laughs> I felt like I was getting paid oh. to learn. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, granted, I was getting paid like $9, mm -hmm. seven, $7 to $9 an hour. And I was like, why can't I pay rent? This is confusing. I work like 90 hours a week, but all right. You know, I was a kid. Yeah. I think... In between then, I took like a, a little bit of time off. I went to Europe for like two and a half months with all the money that I had saved up. Um, 
and just went around and ate as much as I could, gather as much knowledge as I could. I went into a couple like restaurants and worked in the back of the house for a day as a stage in France, actually. Um, super mean, very mean. They did not like that I didn't speak French, which I get, mm -hmm. I get that. Um, and then when I got back, I think I start, actually, you know what, there's, there's, there's one piece of the story that I forgot to mention, which is I was doing a food blog at the time, um, just for fun. Mm -hmm. And, started doing pretty well and then I randomly got a book deal from this really small publisher and I was like all right I was 17 at the time and so I was I was really just doing that it did all right it was like you know nobody really knows about it now they know about it now but back then nobody really knew about it um and then from there after that I pretty much spent all of my money when I moved to Austin like all of it I didn't have that that much I think I had like saved up 12 grand mm -hmm. um went to Europe spent half of that I don't know how I managed to do that in two months, I have no idea. Lived off that, okay. um, and then spent the rest of it in Austin. Had zero dollars, and I was like, "Time to get a job," and went to restaurants. Wow. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And you somehow yeah. afforded rent on like seven, what was it, like eight bucks an hour? Yeah, so the first one was, I think it was around eight or, <laughs> eight or nine dollars an hour. Um, I don't know. Well, the rent was actually really low. It was this pretty rinky-dinky like old house, and I think the rent was, man, I could be wrong, but I think it was like $7.50. Mm. It's pretty low, um, for especially for Austin. That's really low. Yeah, uh, now that would be what, like eighteen hundred dollars? Oh, easy! Yeah. My God, Austin is out of yeah. control. Yeah, it'd easily be like it'd probably be like twelve, twelve or fifteen hundred now. Um, but yeah, I, I I just didn't spend money on anything else. You know, I ate all the food that I needed to eat at the restaurant, and then when I got home, I, I might I might have like some cheap things that I could make, like pasta. Um, and then it got to a point where my my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, would help me pay rent. Which, if you're wondering, that's why she's my fiance now. <laughs> pass the test. Yeah, pass the test. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't think it's required to pay your SO's rent, but she helped a bunch. So that's cool. Yeah. Then, where did the concept come for your YouTube channel? So, I'm trying to remember how that. So, that basically, when I, I was working, I, I'd gone through working through a few different restaurants, lots of fine dining. Um, I got my experience. I was getting good, and I was getting like known in the community, and I was knowing a bunch of those chefs and restaurants, and um, I was kind of getting veering towards like a sous chef position uh, at the current restaurant. Once you get a sous chef position, it's very hard to leave because it's not like you can't quit, but it's just the attachment of like how much work it takes to get to that point. You want to like ride it out. And there's just a certain emotional attachment. I was afraid of that because I was like, man, if I, if I do this, I'm not going to be able to do some of the other things that I wanted, which those things were, I wanted to work. I wanted to do like television or, shows and visual entertainment essentially because i felt that i did not like the shows that were being put out i thought they were terrible i thought it wasn't doing food justice i'm like there's so much exciting stuff out there and i felt that food entertainment was slowly losing the people and that freaked me out because that also was about as equally important to me as the cooking was that was something a passion that i grew over time my dad's like in film and or was he was in film for a number of years and so 
that was something that I thought was really important. And so I wanted to contribute to that too. And I'm like, how am I supposed to do that working as a line cook uh, or a turn on at the time going into a sous chef position? How am I supposed to do that working 80 to 90 hours a week? How, how am I supposed to have time for that? And I was like, well, I mean, I could start on YouTube. I could like make a couple of videos and like edit them at night and or in the morning instead um, and call it a day. And maybe we'll see where that goes. And maybe I can use that to do other stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a year, I slept I think four hours a night, every single night in order to do that mm. because there was no other way I could find time. Yep. Because think about it, I go in, you go into the restaurant. If you're working mornings, you go in the restaurant, you get up at five and you shower, get ready. You get there at 6.30 or seven. You prep, you work until probably 5.30 or six. And then you get home, it's nighttime. And then you eat and you rinse and repeat. But typically you would stay after until like seven. Sometimes I would stay until seven to like learn. Right. But if you're on the line, then you come in and you come in instead at like maybe they say noon or one. Yeah. You need to come in at 10 if you want to set up your station on time. So really you come in at 10, 10 to one in the morning or two in the morning, 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. Wow. So then your window of time at 1 a.m. You get home by, let's say, two after you close your station and everything like that. You get home at, say, 1.30 or two. We'll say 1.30 for posterity. 1.30 in the morning. You get to bed at like two. So two, three, four, five, six, seven. You get up at seven, eight, nine, ten. You have two hours to get to the restaurant. Get your knives, sharpen your knives, press your chef coat, go to the bathroom, work out. Um, so I basically had anywhere between a two and four hour window to get anything done for the YouTube channel. And the only way to extract like to expand that for editing was I was like, I'll just sleep less. It gives me three more hours a day. So they gave me six hours a day to do work. So that's kind of what the process was to get to that point. Um, and yeah. What were the first few videos that you decided to film? It started out kind of wonky. You can yeah. you can go back and see some of my old videos in the apartment that I was at. And I just like found some shitty lights and turned it on. I think I think I was trying to give like chef techniques away. I was like, okay, this is how you like set up for cooking and you know make your kitchen efficient and you can do this and that. They were really boring and really slow and poorly edited. But my idea in my head was like, well, maybe I can give people the information, the secret stuff that nobody gives away. All the all these chefs are very secretive. You know, they don't want to talk about the mm -hmm. techniques in the restaurant industry. And I was like, well, I don't give a fuck. You're paying me $9 an hour. I'll say whatever I want. Yeah. And so that's where I started. What were some of the secrets you were giving away? Things that people wouldn't normally know because they're not in cookbooks and you're not going to Google certain. Nowadays, you kind of can because mm -hmm. like more and more people are talking about it. But you back in the day, you couldn't Google some of these techniques. People didn't even know they existed. Just little things like the finesse in the way that you operate. So for example, if I was to, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think, there's just so many things. Okay, so like making a cheese foam, right? If you wanted to make a cheese foam, you, it's really, really basic. You need two ingredients and you need a, a whipped cream canister and that's it. But most people don't realize that. So if I were to show someone this technique where I'm like, yeah, you just take cheese, you grate it, you put it in a blender, you pour a boiling cream over it, you blend it until it's smooth, pour it into that whipped cream canister and fill it with one nitrogen cartridge, shake it, and you have like a gorgeous, voluminous, fine dining cheese foam. Something that you would see in a restaurant and be like, wow, this is amazing. Where I'm giving little, little techniques like that that you can't just Google that and find it. Hmm. That's interesting. And how did you come up with the concept of but better when you started recreating oh. other menu items and doing it better or cheaper? So a lot of <laughs> a lot of my content comes from me being annoyed. I feel like the Popeye's chicken sandwich. Do you all remember that? 
Yeah. Remember yes. when that came out? Yes. And everyone was freaking out. People were really freaking out. People were the fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, the line down the block for Popeye's chicken. I just wanna I just wanna come on record to say uh that Popeye's where there was a fight. I was living there. It was ten five five, ten minutes away. Wait, what happened? Wait, Alex? the man the person that passed away? No, oh no, 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 no. Because <laughs> yeah, it got it got that bad. It was I, like, I like how we have to clarify what, what story Which we're fight. talking about. <laughs> There's more than one. Um, uh, gosh, it was, <laughs> there was like two, two or three fights, but, uh, gosh. no, it was like something had happened with like the, the, the manager, their employees were like quitting or something because of all the chaoticness. And, uh, it was actually like a, a fight between like a manager and a customer that just started like beating the guy up. <laughs> and, and so I was, yeah, I was living like five minutes away and I was like, gosh, Put the town on the map over here. So wow! Yeah. If anything, I'm more, thanks, Popeyes. That makes you want to try it more, though. Yeah, because yeah. you hear about no, that. It's like, I want to try that. Is it that good? Yeah. See, that's so interesting to yeah. me. It's like, oh my god, somebody died over this. What Time was the to one go try. There was a there was a mini riot because they ran out and people yep. started like going crazy. I thought that was the Popeyes chicken sandwich. Yeah, I think it was Popeyes. That's insane. Over a chicken sandwich. Yeah, that's not right. Riot. I think it was 2017. That was the the chicken sandwich craze. And yes. everyone is doing because everybody wants because because KFC was like, wait, somebody's fighting for your chicken. I want someone to fight for yeah. my chicken. Um, I don't know. But that that's what annoyed me, though. And then I heard about someone. I heard about someone getting killed over this thing. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, that's where I, that's where you got to draw the line. Like, if you're not drawing the line at fist fights in line, you're drawing the line in human life because that is unbelievably ridiculous. And so I, I just was so annoyed and so upset at this. And my immediate response was like, uh, you know what? I have to go try this because if people are losing their minds over it, it better be fucking good. So I go, I drive there, I pull up. And I was I was doing videos at the time. Yeah. Um, I pull up, I order the sandwich. Unbelievable line. It's a, an hour. So I'm like exhausted at this point. I get the sandwich and I take one bite. And my immediate response was, this is probably one of the worst chicken sandwiches I've ever eaten in my fucking life. The fact that I wasted my time here and someone died over this, I can't think of a bigger waste. And so I took that energy and I was like, I, I could make this way fucking better easily at home with, with minimal equipment. This isn't, this is like basic ass shit. And so I was like, you know what? I'll make a video about it. And I kind of had that energy going into it too. That sort of like, I'm annoyed at this, the fact that this happened. And so I brought that into the video and I was like, we're making this better. You can do this at home. You, not, not, not just me, you. If you're watching this, I promise you, you can make this. If you follow my instructions, it will be better and you will have more knowledge and power yeah. and you're gonna have fun. And you're not gonna wait in line while you, while you watch Jeffrey punch some dude in the face because his chicken sandwich didn't get there on time. And so I did it and that video immediately went pretty crazy there like day one there was an article about it really yeah because it was at the height of the of the Popeyes thing so it immediately kind of swept up and um there were a ton of comments of people being like man Josh you should make this into a series like I just found you blah 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 like this would be a lot of fun to watch and so I was like okay and here we are 70 or 80 episodes later wow now, back when you made that video, were you doing YouTube full-time or was this just a, a side thing that you were working on still? I think I had just just become full-time on it. I had just like 
Nobody was working for me at the time. Yeah. I had just barely become full-time. What was that process like? How long did it take you to quit your job? And, and were you nervous about quitting your job at the time to do YouTube? Yeah, it was, it was hard. I cried when I quit my job because you have like these attachments to these restaurants. It's not about what you get paid. Mm -hmm. It's about how much you care about what you're doing. Nobody works in a restaurant to make money unless you want to build and, you know, be an owner of a restaurant. That's a different concept. But as a line cook, prep cook, it's pure passion. The number of times I've seen people go in after work and you don't get to clock in to test stuff and work on dish ideas for free is staggering. So I had a big attachment to the restaurant. The process of quitting was like, I, it took me, I think I was ready to quit for a while. It took me three months to actually pull the trigger and leave because I didn't want to like let my chefs down and like make them think ill of me or I didn't want to lose the relationships I had. And I didn't want to get detached from restaurants. That was like a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm still very close with them. I'm also working on my first. Um, and so it's like one of those things where, yeah, it was just, it was just a tough process. I was making enough, I, I, I knew it was time to leave when I was looking at my paycheck and I was looking at the YouTube check and the YouTube check was probably hundred X that really yeah can you share how big the YouTube paycheck was back then yeah so I'm trying to remember what it was yeah. hundred X may not may not be an accurate maybe more like 50 X but sure. it was like it was getting paid like around like 30,000 a month and as a line cook getting paid eleven dollars an hour yeah that's I'm surprised you held out for that I know long. like that's crazy to me like I would have seen 30,000 a month and then 11 an hour and be like okay easy decision right there it was it was scary because uh I was so used to like barely being able to pay rent for so long that seeing that kind of money I was just I saved every dollar mm -hmm. I was not fucking with that money at all so it was it was tough to kind of like step away but I will say that I knew I wanted to leave and I knew I could handle it it was just like I said the emotional attachment but imagine like line cooking and have maybe you have a bad day because this happened several yeah. on several occasions. I have a bad day and I'm like, it's just a rough night and I'm cooking and you know, maybe, maybe one of the chefs is getting on me. And by the way, all these guys are amazing. So I'm not shitting on them at all, yeah. but maybe, you know, it gets, it gets heated in a kitchen sometimes and they're like, you know, maybe shitting on me and they're like, God damn, Josh, like you really are not, not on your game tonight. Like you fucked up two steaks, did this, you did this. <clears throat> and they're like, and they're like, you know, you want that holiday bonus, start working. And I'm like, you have no fucking idea. You have no idea. I what literally the make your bonus salary in been? two months. Like, you know, yeah. not, not to be a dick, but yeah. it's like in my mind, that's what, what I was, was thinking. What was the, what would the bonus have been? Like at the time, is it like 500 bucks, a thousand dollars? Oh, like 150 or 200 bucks, maybe. Wow. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Jeez. Yeah. Now, did they know you had the YouTube channel at the time or no? They did. Okay, but they didn't know you how much you're making. They the had no idea. Yeah. And what was your production schedule like at that point? How many how many videos were you posting a week? Uh, one to two. Some weeks were one. It was pretty sporadic. I didn't really have a very good posting schedule, mm -hmm. um, but I was very consistent. If I posted one, it was on Wednesdays. If I posted two, it was on Sundays and Wednesdays. Got it. Every single time, no matter what. No. And fail. you did everything yourself, from filming to planning to. Yep. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
it was it that well that's why i said i slept five hours every night yeah because i literally would sometimes i didn't sleep at all i would film something in the morning and i'd have like three hours before i needed to be at work so i'd film something in the morning or if it flip if i was working in the morning vice versa i would film it just before the sun went down right i'd run home and get it filmed or on a day off i would film two videos and then i would edit throughout the work days so like if i had work in the more uh, in at night you know like night shift then i would wake up at probably 5 a.m or 4 a.m go to the gym immediately come back edit for an hour go to work come back at around one in the morning and then i would edit from one in the morning to three in the morning and then go to bed and then wake up at you know four or five sometimes yeah. and then how did that schedule change when you went full-time <clears throat> that was wild what was your first day like you're waking first, up and there's nothing to do but YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I remember my immediate thought was like, I'm not going to go and like rest. I don't want to start this off with, I didn't want to start developing bad habits. So my immediate response was like, I'm working every single day. I'm working more than how, whatever the energy was that it took to work at a restaurant. I'm just going to do that 2x for this. So I immediately started working like way more. Um, I But I did get more sleep. That was good. And how was balancing a relationship at the same time as getting like three hours of sleep a night? That was tough. I never, she also was a teacher. Uh, her name's Kate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she was working as a teacher. So we never saw each other for a year. For like, an entire year. Just we lived together. Yeah. I mean, we, we like, so she would, she would, I would wake up. She would be asleep. I would come back. She would be asleep every day, except for the days off. You know, if there was a day off, I would see her and we would spend yeah. a lot of time. Together. How long have you been dating her at that time? Two years, I think. Yeah. So the year before that, we saw each other more. And, and <laughs> the year before <laughs> that. Yeah. That just sounds so crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, wow. I used yeah. to drive. So she lived in San Marcos at the time going to college. Yeah. So I would drive from Austin, which is about a 45, 30 to 45 minute drive. I would sometimes go to work, immediately get off. She was in college you know, so her hour, her hours were pretty flexed, so she would stay up. So I would leave the restaurant, you know, maybe midnight, drive 45 minutes straight from the restaurant, all my shit with my knives and shit, drive all the way to her in San Marcos, take a quick shower, and then we would hang out from, you know, like midnight or 12.30 in that case to like two or three in the morning. I'd spend the night there, and then I'd immediately get up at like six or seven. Well, no, that, that was a night show. So I would get up closer to like 10, um, get ready, leave, and drive all the way back to Austin with all my knives and yeah. stuff. You know what? That's absolutely crazy because I have a very similar story. When I first uh, was dating my wife, um, she was going to school in Milwaukee and I was living in Illinois, which is like an hour and a half. I would wake up again, 5.30 to get to the, the commute. Um, and I probably wouldn't leave until midnight. I wouldn't get there till one in the morning and we would spend time. So I know exactly what you mean. And, yeah. And that that's a tough situation to be in. Was she understanding of that, like right from the get go, or, or or because I know sometimes it's hard for your partner to visualize, like, okay, how long is this going to be, or did she know, like, all right, you're going to grind it out for however, like, were you clear up front about like what your plan was, or or how did she feel about that? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was well. First off, <clears throat> let me let me rephrase that. She was extremely understanding. I was not clear at all. I never said anything about how long it was going to last, what it was going to look like. Um, I just was expressing to her how much I liked her. And I think that she saw the effort because like I, I very rarely asked her to come to me. It was like, I'll go to you. You do your thing. Like you're in college. Like, let me come to you. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So I think she saw the effort and kind of like use that as, I guess, 
<laughs> collateral for the emotional attachment, right? Where it's like, okay, well, he's putting in at least this much effort in, so right. I know he cares. Um, she's easy to please, you know, she's a laid back gal. She had to deal with a lot for me starting on because it's like, never see me. It's always late at night. I'm usually like fucking dead when I saw her. Yeah. Like dead. I mean, I can muster up, you know, we watch a little fun movie, we laugh, you know, you muster up the energy. But she always got me at 50% for probably five years. Yeah. Did that ever worry you that that would have a toll on the relationship? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did. But you know what? It, I think it actually helped the relationship because it made us work through our issues more quickly because they were exacerbated by the exhaustion. Yeah. But we ended up, I feel like building a really good foundation because of it. It started off poorly and then got better and better and better and better rather than worse. Whereas most relationships start off great and get yeah. worse and worse and worse and worse. What's yeah. that like cheesy saying? If you can't tolerate me at my worst, you don't oh. deserve me at my best. Don't, <laughs> don't ever say that. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah. This guy. Like, no, I knew look. this was going to happen. No, I knew this look, was gonna... I'm just saying it applies. <laughs> it makes sense. You know, it does. It does make sense. I agree with that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that that. For better or worse, whatever the saying is, I agree with that. I also think at the end of the day, you have to be able to do your shit. Like if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, if you have a desire in your life or there's something you want to do, you have to be able to do your shit. And if that person's not going to let you do it, I'm sorry, but no, you need to move on. Yeah. You know? And so my, and I, I felt that way, but she also had zero ego in it. So I was just like, hell yeah, this is great. You think distance is ever a viable reason to break up with someone? Or do you think Ooh. like, if you really love that person that you can make it work? So it wouldn't work anyways, basically, if you man, were distance is really hard. I've done it before. I don't like it. Mm. I don't think I would want to put up with it, but, but if it was with my fiance now, I definitely would. But it, but that's the thing though. It, it skews your ability to, un, to, to have foresight for the future of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Like now, obviously in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, look at this amazing relationship we've developed. But that took years. So maybe if it was early on in the first year, how would I have known? Right. But, um, I would say short end of the story is it's probably possible, but it's a lot harder. What do you think, Graham? Uh, I think everyone has different emotional needs and if that's not something they're comfortable with, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you, I think it would make it easier knowing there's an end date. Like, yeah. Hey, if you could put up with like this one year, like just go through this sure. one year or like a year and a half, however long it is, then you at least see the end of the tunnel. But just having this indefinite date in the future that could be any time, I think that would, that'd be difficult. I, I have a hot take here, but I think it's hard for somebody to see how compatible they are if you don't live together. And I think that's changing with like the current generation where a lot of people are moving in before they get married. Uh, but like, I wanna know that person's like bad habits. So, everything before I like make that decision. So what was the thing that was most surprising about Kelsey, Alex? She doesn't watch the ice She doesn't watch it. You're fine. You're good. She's not going to see this. She's definitely not going to see this. God, this is going to get clipped all over TikTok. All right. Give me a second. Tag Kelsey in this. Yeah. What's her at? If you can let everyone know. No, we're definitely not letting people know. Let's see. Oh, I think the most surprising, this is going to show, you know what? This is a fitting podcast to disclose this, but uh, the most shocking thing was that this girl really can't cook. Like, 
anything at all. Oh, like, no. like, like not to, not just because this is, you know, about food, but like, um, when she was living in college, like I, I would like, I'm not a cook myself. Like I can cook, but I wouldn't say I'm great, uh, but I can make food. Um, and I would be like, so like, you're saying you can't cook, like, how are you eating? She'd be like, well, like, I go visit my mom, like, once a month, and she makes all these, like, home-cooked meals, and she freezes them all. And, like, then she, like, unfreezes them as she goes, and I'm just like, like, she did not, know, like, it, it was so bad. I'm sorry, Kelsey. It was so bad she didn't know how to make, like, scrambled eggs. And, oh, boy. And I, so we had a bad case. And I, when I did a house tour video, I, like, made a joke about, like, not her not being able to cook and, uh, I think her, you know, her mom or whatever might have taken a little bit of offense to that. But I was like, I don't, you know, I was like, no, it's not your fault. Like a lot of people nowadays, like, you know, they, they can't cook, but that was the biggest shock. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. So, so starting the relationship, line. I had to cook, I had to cook everything basically. <sighs> that, and I, and yeah. I, and I cooked everything pretty much up until today. She's still kind of, she's getting better, but yeah, I, that was the biggest shock for me. Wait, mm. I'm, I'm a little lost on what you were talking about. The biggest shock was that she couldn't cook. Yes. Like <laughs> even basic things. Yeah. It was because think about it. If you date somebody and you don't move in with them, you may not know that because you know, when somebody says they don't know how to cook, you assume like, Oh, like, like yeah like, funny like, like, oh yeah. Or, uh, like that. yeah yeah or like 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 no but like genuinely like my wife did not know how to cook what, but what's I, your what's your uh how do you do dinner well n i typically cook everything but now now she's getting better so uh the other day she what did she cook uh here's uh, gosh kelsey i'm so sorry <laughs> so kelsey good. i'm sorry for exposing you right so now like a typical, if I'm work, I work a lot. And so if I'm working like a typical thing, like she'll eat is like, she likes to take like a bag of like frozen corn from the freezer and like, she won't even heat it up. She'll just eat it. So that's huh? not cooking though. Huh? Yeah. Or, and I'm like, and oh, I, hell no. Yeah, you thought you were going <laughs> No way. No, no, no. Like, Holy shit. Or like, so or like she'll open up, or like or she'll open up like a green bean can and she'll just like eat it out of the can. No, no. <laughs> no. So anyway, what's her name? Kelsey. Kelsey, you don't have to do this. I'm here for you. Tell her what me. she can do with some yeah. frozen corn. Yeah, yeah. Give Not us that. a frozen anything corn dish. That. Idea. And literally anything. What do you that. recommend if someone doesn't know how to cook? How can they make themselves a nutritious meal for cheap? It's not microwaved. What am I, God? Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh God. I mean, there's a Where million people things. Start. They gotta start somewhere. Maybe start with scrambled eggs. You know, that's that's the first concern I had when you said that. Maybe start there. Um, the internet is is the resource, I think, right? And I'm not even doing this to plug my own channel, but it's just kind of like everything's out there. Google your exact issue and find it. It's there. There's a way to do it. That being said, though, there are there's two tent poles that a lot of people struggle with with cooking. First one is failure, and that's like number one. People are afraid to make something and fuck it up. They don't want to dedicate their time and money and fuck it up and it'd be bad. That makes sense. It's also a larger statement about society, but we'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. And then the second issue is that they don't think that they're capable. Like they just think that they are incapable. It's totally separate from the failure aspect. They just think that they're completely incapable. And then that that's for somebody else to do. That's not for me. I don't, I don't like do that. And so those two things kind of have to get taken away. And then you just have to Google something and find something. And you'd be surprised because we're the only animal on planet earth that cooks our food before we eat it. There's no other animal on earth known in existence, as far as I know, that cooks their food before they eat it. It's built in our DNA. Food is more nutritious and easy to assimilate nutrients. 
when you cook it. So we're, it's, we're supposed to, which means that, yes, even your wife can cook. But I also understand that people don't want to cook. I don't want, I, the last thing I will say is I don't mm. think anyone needs to cook. If someone's like, I, I don't want to cook, cool. I don't have any uh, quarrel or judgment on that whatsoever. So. See, I'm worried about the time commitment of cooking because I see this as Graham like, Stephen I'm going to come in with financial advice here. I'm going to be scarfing How many this down hours does it minutes? cost me to cook? What's the opportunity yeah. cost of microwaving it, that meal? I could be making a video instead. That's I could right. be investing instead. I could be doing so many Let me Google other my things. net worth really quick. Hang on one second. Um, <laughs> divide that. Yeah, carry divide the four. that. Carry the four. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be like going to Nobu 30 times. <laughs> um, but, you know, I get that. Yeah. That makes sense. But I, I see, like, I'm spending an hour cooking something and then five minutes eating it. Like, the ratio is not there. Like, an yeah. hour for five minutes. Let well, me just give you... cooks everything for you. No. No, let me give everything. you an example no, of... Uh, she, she cooks yeah. No, no, yeah. I have an example so right week, here yeah. of uh, one of Graham's meals, and he actually made a video about it, which uh, oh, you guys can oh. see. So, Josh, I want you to review this video, or this meal, and I want you to tell me what Graham could have done better, okay? Oh, my god! And this is an video old video. If yes. you guys want to look it up, it's called How to Make... 97 cent breakfast my morning routine so what he does is he takes eggs and he puts them in a pan and then he is adds, there any is there any oil or butter in the pan before uh, a little oil i okay. do a little like olive oil or okay I, I just don't want it to stick you yeah, adding any that's what it's for, yeah. uh, you adding any uh seasoning to the eggs or, or not? nothing salt it's just nothing what okay. no why i don't like it yeah, no no <laughs> graham really we, I know we just met. There's no way you do not I like swear. salt and pepper. Yeah, There's I like no I like way. the most plain stuff. There's no. Can you? Do you have anything to say about this? <laughs> oh, I need somebody. I've I never, never used salt I'm surprised. I'm just as surprised as you are. I'm. I thought you probably would have salted you've it. You've never, never heard him. You've never seen me use salt and pepper. I'm just saying. I, I would have thought that. You yeah, but you go out to restaurants. Yeah, you go out to restaurants and you like the food. So my guess is you think you don't like salt and pepper because it takes more time to go grab it and put it in your food. But if you like food from restaurants, like they season their food properly. So the t as a judge here. I've eaten you, that you meal like salt for and pepper. years, and I never had an issue with it. It's, uh, see, but it's not like having an issue. It's like, okay, this would make it taste Okay, hold on. Let's yeah. move on here real quick. I'll finish this off real quick just so we could get a full review and, and, and finish off. So he takes the eggs. He puts it in the pan. No seasoning whatsoever. Um, then he's basically making like an omelet, and he's putting a pre-shredded sharp cheddar cheese from Kroger on there. And some uh, pre-sliced turkey breast from Kroger also. And then uh, toasting a bagel and adding cream cheese onto the bagel. So what would you say to that meal? How could we make it better? We, need to, we need to make cents. Yeah, 97 cents. Under breakfast. a dollar for that meal. Well, it's maybe filling. not with I mean, inflation now. The, yeah, with the, inflation. It's yeah, it's like $40 prices. now, right? Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, well, yeah. Um, I mean, the meal itself, in essence, there's nothing wrong with. I mean, deli meat, I understand why you use that for the price point. So that makes sense. It's, it could still be good. Maybe like, I don't know, I would like ham better because turkey tastes weird in, when it gets heated for some reason, unless it's in a sandwich. Um, I think you just put salt and pepper. That's the <laughs> one thing. That's it. That's it. Just a little bit of MSG maybe? If there's anything, I mean, maybe not in an omelet, but in some things, yes. If there's one thing that I think people make the biggest mistake, and the first thing I judge a restaurant on, within the, it takes me a fraction of a second to tell whether a restaurant's on their shit. And it is salt. It is salt levels. Most places, I would say salt is single-handedly one of the most powerful, influential elements to making great food. Because most places just don't know how to put enough. But I also think that like, you know, in your case, some people are either sensitive to it or it's not something that they really 
think about and it yeah. doesn't really affect their experience. But I would say most people though, their, their experience is severely affected with lack of salt. But too much could completely ruin the meal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, too much of anything, yeah. right? Like, right. you know, um, it's sort of like you want to balance the amount of salt in it. You want to, basically, you want to push salt as far as it can physically go before reaching that salty level. So if you ever go to a restaurant and you're like, man, this is my favorite restaurant. Everything they make is so, 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 so good. Those places oftentimes are seasoning their food to the absolute max, just before that line. One of the chefs I used to work for, he would test his sauces. He would make the sauce, season it, and it would take him like, 15 minutes to season a sauce. He would like season it, stir, taste, season, stir, taste, like over and over and over. And the way he would take, uh, to make sure it had enough salt is he would take about a teaspoon and then put a really tiny sprinkle of salt on it, right? And if that tiny sprinkle of salt took it overboard, it was there. Hmm. That's really interesting. That is. Yeah. I imagine you have yeah. really good blood pressure. Me? Because of your lack of salt consumption it's low i have low blood pressure oh yeah consume more salt then right you think so is that, is that the move i don't I, know i am sure. not a medical professional <laughs> yeah. do not take any of my advice on yeah. that no mine is consistently at the point where if it were any lower it would be a concern <laughs> what is that i've like, never heard of low blood pressure. neither have yeah. i this I guy's never stressed out doesn't no. eat no, salt. i'm constantly stressed out <laughs> but, like, but my blood pressure doesn't doesn't go up like even when i did the boxing thing they did the blood pressure and it was like slightly too low and they're hmm. like we need you to do jumping jacks and i'm like i am nervous on the inside i'm like okay and i got it up but consistently it's just been low wow so you've been having some problems getting it up yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll tell you one thing my blood pressure my blood pressure is always high whenever that's i'm on his good. twitter yeah every time i see his twitter he's like the housing market is crashing and i'm like yeah. cool that's awesome i'm really glad that i bought two fucking houses that's great <laughs> crash the, the 50th market, time though. this year yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. So tell us about you you bought uh, you bought two houses Yes. So um, one in Austin and one in L.A., two studios, basically, because mm -hmm. we go to L.A. so frequently. Um, and so my mentality, we are actually building a studio separately in Austin now. But the reason why we did the place in L.A., which, you know, is, you know, maybe we'll rent it out every once in a while to pay the mortgage, whatever. I'm not really I'm, I'm flexible on it, but we go there so often. It is so expensive to bring my team, rent out a space, shoot in it. And I like LA, I'm from LA. So, yeah. you know, I, I want to spend a lot of time there. Um, that was actually, I did the math and I was like, well, if I can find a house for this price and I build a kitchen in it, it would be less expensive and I could rent it out to tenants and pay it when I'm not there. And, uh, or sorry, rent it out on Airbnb and, and, you know, pay for the mortgage when I'm not there. And then when I'm there, just, you know, don't block those dates out. So we did that. And uh, I got a place in LA and um, we don't, we're not there very often, but in the sense of like our total shoots, but we're there often enough that it's utilized to the potential that I wanted it for. Yeah. What's your team look like now? So we've got 11 dedicated people. No. And then we have um, a bunch of like freelancers that we use, um, you know, thumbnail editors. Uh, this, have you guys seen this, by the way? Have you seen this like huge wave? Um, I'll talk about it later. Um, no, let's talk about it now. I'm, I'm curious now. This What's huge this? wave of like thumbnail artists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. On Twitter it's like going crazy <clears throat> because of Mr. Beast, obviously. Yeah. King, legend, makes sense, I get it. Um, but we started working with some of them and they're cool. So we use we use some thumbnail artists um, and then my 11 dedicated people. So we have my director and who, who I now call my vice president. He's been with me since almost like day one. Like when I was making enough money to hire somebody, he was my first hire. Um, his name is Vikram. He's incredible. He's extremely good. Work ethic, top tier. What does he I, do? So he does, he does now 
pretty much everything with me. So like we ideate content together. He does editing still. Um, I really need to get him off editing because it's just taking too much of his time. But you know, like when you care about what you do, he has like a iron grip on some of the creative. And so yeah. he, he still wants to edit it despite us having several editors. But so he does directing on set. Um, we'll work on building out run of shows for shoots. Um, he will, we, like I said, we come with creative ideas. I bounce ideas off him. Sometimes we'll work on like new revenue sources together. Um, he'll handle like brand deal stuff, like creative, like submitting creative stuff between brands and sponsorships so that we can like make that system efficient. Yeah. And then everything in between that you would imagine. The only thing he doesn't handle is like obviously like financials. Like I, I, I still do that. But um, but yeah, he, he also functions as like a managing factor in the team. And then we have, uh, we have my lead editor, Maya. She's great, um, incredibly talented. Again, work ethic top tier. So she does basically oversees all edits and helps make sure that the editing schedule is like consistent every mm. single time. She and she rules it with a iron fist. She's like, yeah. "When's this coming? When's that coming?" You know, she's great. And then we have you know our our other editors, um, a few staff editors. Uh, we have some people who are part time um, editing and part time on set shooting. So we'll have like you know one guy. Uh, his name's Kendrick. He is on camera when we're shooting, but he's also editing when, we, when he's not on set. Mm. Uh, then I have my executive assistant who basically handles like scheduling for myself and then other people in the team. Um, and then we have our content coordinator who makes thumbnails. He works on content SEO with me and um, all sorts of other things. Website, we, we built up this really cool website that is super messed up with the recipes. I gotta figure that out. But um, yeah, and that's pretty much, I mean, there's other people obviously, but it's like editors, coordinators, assistant, director, and some writers. That's a huge team. If, I don't I, I don't know why I thought it was just like you and maybe two people. <laughs> That's how it feels. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, we could we could go lighter. Oh, oh uh, there's two other people I completely yeah. forgot about. Uh, culinary as well. So I have a culinary producer. I call them culinary producer yeah. uh, and then a, a culinary assistant. So they both like measure ingredients out. If stuff needs to be pre-prepped, they pre-prep it the day before. I'll send them the recipe. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So I'll send them the recipe and all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, um, you know, be sure to get these ingredients. And this is exactly how we need to prep this out. Make this sauce, make this soup, boil this down, do this, this, this. Bring it all the way up to where it needs to be so that when we get on set, it's a three-hour shoot, not an eight-hour shoot. Um, and they do all that that stuff uh, and help with uh, cleanup. Yeah. yeah, like I've seen it with some of the cooking channels where they put something in an oven and then there's an oven next to it. They're like, and then they just immediately take it out yep. cooked. Yeah, that, I mean, that's how you do it. Otherwise, yeah. it takes so long if you're right. doing everything. Uh, in French terms, it'd be al minute, which means like everything to order, everything right away. Oh, cook yeah. the chicken. Here's the chicken. It's done. Um, it's way better if it's pre-made. So we'll have like sauces that take six hours to boil down, right? So we're going to do all that the day before, put it in a quart container, leave it in the fridge so that when we start the shoot, <clears throat> we're boiling the sauce down and then, you know, it's boiling on camera. We get the shot. Okay, cool. I go put it off to the side and then I pull out the one that's already done. I'm like, looks like this. Wow. So, but we do that with, with those people. So they'll, yeah. they'll be pre-prepping that for me and I'll go check on it and make sure that it's right and all that. What's your schedule look like day to day? Chaos. Yeah. Yeah. You, it sounds like it's really organized right now. It's very chaotic, but. I like working a lot. You know, even if we had enough employees for me to have more time for myself, I would not do that. You know, it's just, it's, I like the process. I'm sure you guys as well. You know, we all work a lot here. Um, it's doing the stuff that's fun. So my schedule is usually, I get up at four or five every day, no matter what, weekend, holiday, doesn't matter. I do not get up later than that unless 
special occasion like i got up i stayed up way too late the night before mm. or something else right maybe a vacation which i have taken one vacation in the last 10 years so so i get up at four or five in the morning go to the gym come back once i get back i immediately am like on emails or i'm working on re writing recipes i'm writing stuff for my next book i'm writing stuff for some other concepts that i'm working on restaurant related stuff that i'm working on um and then by about nine this is non-filming days. Yeah. Um, by about like nine, it's like back-to-back -back calls from nine to 5 p.m. And then I'll try to like squeeze stuff in between that, like write a recipe in between calls. Um, and then I'll test recipes at night if I can. Um, I would say I test maybe 10% of our recipes before we shoot them. So I just like write the recipe and it usually works. And that's that. And then shooting days, same thing, but there's a shoot in the middle of the day that lasts about six hours. So you take calls for like eight hours? Sometimes, yeah. What do you what do you have to talk about? That's so. <laughs> that's so I was kind of thinking the same thing. Like, like what's, eight what's there to say? You know, I, I just want to say this. I, I don't remember. I don't want. I hate the, to mix the two, but it was either Alex Hormozzi. I don't know if you're familiar with him or Elon Musk. Maybe I think it was hmm. Elon Musk. One of the two said like. Oh, the meetings. It, it's like 95% of meetings yeah. Elon just Musk, yeah. aren't needed. Yeah. And also if a meeting has more than like three people in it, like everyone that isn't talking or like listening or whatever, or directly related to that meeting is just wasting their, it was Elon, it's just wasting yeah, their time. Yeah, it was Elon. And it's really made me reevaluate. Like obviously like calls are important, but a lot of the times like a call can be solved just with like a simple text or like a group call could just be like a group text. Like it's just a lot more efficient. You know? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that we're actually, working on grinding that down a little bit for that exact reason. Cause there are some calls that are inefficient that we have regularly. Cause I like to be, I'm a communicative guy. So I like to communicate with everyone as much as possible, but I agree with that. And there are calls we're taking off. That being said though, um, it's mostly because we condense a lot of my calls throughout the week on like just a couple of days because all my other days I'm too busy to take calls. Like, you know, filming and stuff. Yeah. Filming or recipe developing, or just we're, we're working on a lot of projects at once. So, you know, we're building the studio in Austin. So like there might, I need to get on the phone call with, on a phone with my contractor, right? I need to get on the phone with the guy that we're leasing the building with. I need to get on a, you know, so like little things like that. We're just, I think it's a combination of working on so many projects and some calls being inefficient that we're working on grinding those down. And then the third thing is we squish it all onto like just Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I almost never have calls. Interesting. Yeah. How's your business broken down now in terms of the income? Is it is it ad revenue, sponsorships, your own products? So it's broken down into a couple different sectors. Obviously, we have ad revenue from YouTube, um, and then we have like you know all the other things like Snapchat and all the other social media sites mm -hmm. that produce income. Um, and then there's my cookbook, um, my second cookbook, my um, merchandising, and then we are working on some other stuff. Uh, I really like to take my time with the product space. Yeah. You know, I really don't like the idea of being like, well, I can make, I can make a million dollars right now. I gotta just come up with this project and, and, and white label it and call it a day. Like quality is so important to me. I want people to buy something they love. So we're working on that. Um, product space, obviously brand sponsorships. Um, and then sometimes I'll do like a little bit of like consulting work, but that's pretty infrequent. So I wouldn't even really calculate that in. Um, and I'm probably forgetting some other things, but, that's some of it. Can you break yeah. it down like a pie? Like for example, this is this certain yes. percentage or whatever? So there's ad rev is probably anywhere from 30 to 50%. Book is anywhere from 20 to 30%, probably closer to 50, 45% for ad rev. Mm. Um, and then everything else kind of breaks down pretty evenly, sure. I would say. Yeah.
Um, have you ever thought about doing the Mr. Beast approach of doing like the, the Mr. Beast burger, but you could come up with your own concept and, and have a ghost kitchen do it for you? So I've looked into ghost kitchens a bunch. Yeah. I knew about ghost kitchens before Mr. Beast probably ever even thought about it because I was working in, I knew about ghost kitchens when they were just beginning to like become a thing. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Mr. Beast knew. I'm not like trying to say anything, but um, it is so hard to maintain good consistency of product in a ghost kitchen. So I would like to do one to get food to more people. That being said, from a professional professional's perspective, working in food, I'd rather have a brick and mortar and it, I'd rather put my energy towards that for now yeah. and do a ghost kitchen later. We were approached by the same company that approached Mr. Beast at the same time he got approached and they were like, we can open a hundred locations for you in the next six months. And I was like, wow, that sounds fucking horrible. That's not good because if you do that, there's going to be crazy inconsistency. You're going to have so much fuck, so many fucked up orders. And guess what? Mr. Beast had a lot of fucked up orders and they had to go back and fix a lot of things. I remember talking to Reed about it and I was like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like if I can help you guys, please let me know. They managed, they did yeah, it. I felt so bad because I was looking on Twitter and I, I think the first night that they came out with it, I placed an order yeah. Uh, and I was looking at Twitter because I was so curious. I wanted to make a whole video on this. Yeah. But ever, it's already saturated. Yeah, yeah. Right? But, um, but yeah, I've, I've seen some of the inconsistencies on that and just how they've had to deal with that. Thankfully, it seems like everyone was super understanding. Yeah. It's like, hey, you can't just do this and have every order perfect. Like, it's going to happen. So it seems like, and, and they made it right so quickly. They're like, if anything is wrong, we'll send you another one. We'll give you it free. We'll give you a, you know, a gift card on top of that, like. They're, I have to say, yeah. when when it first came out, I placed an order for me and a bunch of friends, and uh, uh, it was like probably eighty dollars worth of food or something, and I got half of it. Could not figure out a way to submit a claim to get a refund. Like it, and and there was problems with this because it, like Mr. Beast had put out a thing like, if this happened to you, like tweet out at me, and I was like, yeah, I was about to say you, I, you just tweet out. I was like, I'm not going to tweet at him. So yeah. Mr. Beast, if you're watching this, like I'm going to put my Venmo right here. <laughs> And Come if on, you want to send me forty then. bucks, no. get over it, Alex. Come on, listen. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hardworking man. You know, forty dollars is forty dollars. Yeah. I will say this. I will say this. They did an extremely good yeah. job. I have so much respect for them and the way that they handled that. I agree. They did so good. Um, I love them both. And Reed, I don't know where Reed came into play there, but Reed like was very on top of it with him. So I was surprised to see how much they cared about the product, which you don't see very often. So they did a really good job turning that around, but. Let's let, just to refocus back onto if I did that. Yeah. That is, imagine like my whole brand is centered around my food being good. How the fuck would that go if I did if that happened to me? Oh, right. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That would fucking yeah, destroy me. For I, Jimmy, it's, he's not known as the, oh, now he almost is with Feastables, but back then. He's not took like, time to build. He's not yeah. known as the food guy. But he's, no. he's, he's figured it out. Like yeah. the thing is like he, from a qual, he cares about quality. I know he yeah. does, but they figured out, they figured out how to fix the pipeline. So they're good. But like, I would have been a guinea pig in that scenario. And like, I care so much about the experience of per the person eating my food. I could never risk that. Could never, not even one meal. No. You know, I mean, I used to work in restaurants where every single plate counted. Every single plate. So imagine like, I'm just like, okay, let me open a hundred places. Like, let's see what happens. Like, God bless, hope this works out, you know? And yeah, I would, that would have been, I would have been in like shambles yeah. if that happened to me. But you built a substantial business off the cookbook. Yeah. That is, it does seem like crazy numbers. Yeah, we didn't expect it to do as well as it did, which I was surprised about. Um, I Not to say that I didn't think it would do well. I'll give you an example of why. I 
So I told you I released a cookbook when I was 17, right? It didn't sell, I think it sold like 10,000 copies, which is like pretty cool for a kid, right? But um, I I went to, you know the San Francisco Ferry Building? Do you know it? Mm -hmm. You've never been? How is that possible? How is it possible I've you guys don't know this place? I don't know. You guys have never heard of the San Francisco? I've never have, been to San Francisco. Have you heard of the San Francisco? Never, nope. Have you been to San Francisco? How, yeah, yeah, I have. You have? I like Whoever is listening to this, yeah. I know that there are people listening to this podcast that is like, right. wow, this yeah. just changed their opinion about They're you just guys. like, unsubscribe. <laughs> 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 no, I love that place. That's a good spot. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah and they have yeah, the fisherman stuff. Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah, yeah, they're wharfing it up over there. Right. So. Short, short of the story, it's a really big, beautiful building in San Francisco that has a, a bookstore in it that's really famous and a bunch of other like little shops to serve food. It's very big. It's like, uh, if you saw it, it's a very grandiose, like right. long, long building. And uh, so I went there when I was a kid with my book to do a book tour at the time. This was when I was like 17 years old. And uh, one person showed up to the nice. book tour and which was awesome. Like still I was, feels good. I feel it still like feels good. good, but it was also kind of bummed out where I was just like, I don't know why I expected more people when I, and again, I was 17. So, you know, those kinds of things get to you and it stuck with me. Like it stuck with me. Uh, fast forward to me launching this book, you know, I was 25 when it came out. So I launched this book and when I got to the ferry building, I was filled with fear. Cause I was like, I was like, what if that all happens again? Like, I don't know if I can handle that right now after all the work that I put into this book, like I put a lot into this book. I don't know if I can handle walking up to this and only seeing like two or three people or, t or even like 50 people. Like I, not to say that I needed a lot of people there to make me feel good, but I was just like, it was like a defining moment of like, this is how it's going to go. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see anyone in the bookstore. And I was like, fuck, like it's, there's nobody here. There's no way. And, um, one of the ladies came out who was there when I came there the first time. She was like, it's nice to see you again. And I was like, oh yeah. And she's like, they're outside. And I walked outside and there were 2000 people no wrapped around way. the building. No, 3000 people, 3000 oh people wrapped gosh. around the building. And I'd never seen a line like that before. Like literally the line went down the entire length of this football sized building all the way around it. And I was like, holy shit. That's when I realized, I think the book's doing good. And, um, Every time we did a book event, it was literally like 3,000 people showed up every single time. We did a book event in Chinatown in LA and we did, released a special burger. And I was like, we'll do a book signing, come get a burger, it'll be fun. Um, and the line was all the, wrapped around Chinatown. And I was like, oh, so people are liking the book. That's great. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, then, then the news had come out. I remember when I was waiting to find out if we hit New York Times bestseller and I was sitting at the computer waiting for the email, like refreshing. They're like, oh, we find out today. And I'm refreshing. And I'm like, you know what? Like <laughs> I had two, two positions in my mind. I was like, if we don't get your New York Times bestseller, that's totally cool. But the other side, I was like, I have something in mind that I want to go and get if we hit New York Times bestseller, just any position, just give me just one position. And then I got a phone call from my publisher, publisher and they said that we got number one New York Times bestseller on, in all genres. Oh my God. And I was like, for all genres, like outside of cookbooks, and they're like all genres. So we outsold every single book. Um, how did you do for that what time period for, uh, I think it was almost, it was, we were one of the like top selling books of the year, I think in all genres. How did Holy you do God. that? Was that just the YouTube channel? It was, uh, I, you know, I'd love to say that there was a, I mean, there was a strategy. I mean, yeah. why, why would I launch a book with no strategy? But I mean, it wasn't an exorbitant you know, chock full of do this th then and this and then. I mean, we promoted it on the channel and we did some fun skits and that was kind of it. You know, we, I mean, we promoted it a lot on the YouTube channel and I did a, I, I did like one TikTok on it. Um, 
I tweeted it out a few times. I had it in a lot of videos like where it was in the background. So some yeah, product sure. placement stuff. And, but I mean, I just spoke very honestly about it and I was like, look, you know, this is a book that I want to release for a long time, blah, blah, blah. And it, I, it was just cool to see people show up. I think people were excited to see that it was like a professional's book instead of all these other, you know, personalities, so to speak. A lot of people in food are, per, there's a lot of personalities in food that have not put in like the in, a extraordinary amount of work that I have put in to a craft. And so I think it was really cool to see the people kind of return the favor a little bit where they were like, it felt like, uh, the age old concept of like, oh, is this real? Like, do people even care about this anymore? It was a really nice reassuring moment to see that they do. Wow. What's the process of writing a book? How do you do that? It's, aren't you on, are you working on one, Graham? No. Yeah, you're not about that, huh? No. I'd much rather make a video. Yeah. Like I, for me, I don't read that many books. I'll listen to like audio books, but. I don't read a ton I, of books I, either. I, I've not sat down there and read a book. And so I feel like, why would I do something that. You know, I'm not gonna sit down and read a book. Once I put at out some my, point, yes. Once but. I put out my third book, it will be officially I will have written more books than I've read all the way through. Huh. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So yeah. Not, it's not like I don't read for yeah. the record. People, it's just I just don't read books all the way through. But um, so the process is pretty lengthy. They give you like a deadline, and and it's sort of like a rap, like a race to get to that point. Um, for a cookbook, it's normally broken down in like, okay, how many recipes are there gonna be? How many pages? That book has over 100 recipes and like 200 and something pages. Um, and then you you define what recipes are gonna be there. You write them and everything. And then you figure out what the book is gonna, oh, prior to doing that, obviously figure out what the book is gonna be about. What's the concept? And then you build everything out from there. So it starts at the top of the tree and then you build the rest of the tree out. Um, it's not that bad if you really know what you're doing and you know what you're writing about, in my opinion. If you're struggling to write a book, probably you shouldn't be writing that book. It should be easy. I'm sure if you, if, if I don't know, if someone came up to you and offered you enough money and they were like, hey, do this book, um, you know, maybe you do it and they, you know, they asked you to talk about something that you know the most about, you'd probably have a pretty easy time writing about it. It takes a long time and, it, and it's a bit of a grind, but you know, you know, yeah. it's all, it's all up here. It's tough for me. Cause I feel like, well, I just make a YouTube video. Yeah. Like it would probably be with real estate investing of some sort, but I made so many videos on that. That's fair. And I feel like then the video just gets pushed out. The algorithm helps and people could watch it. They could, you know, well, pause well, it, come back to it. They could listen to it in the car. I've thought about, yeah, I would say it's two things. Think about it. Like you have this podcast, you have what you're doing on YouTube and you have what you do on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what's smart about that is, you know, you're making content for people who want to consume it differently. And text is still a piece of content that people want to consume differently. Mm -hmm. And there's only a few categories that perform really well in literature, and that is food and financial self-help and maybe a couple of, you know, fiction books that somehow blow up. Like yeah. Harry Potter is a great book, right? A great series, you yeah. know, that, that blew up because of what it is. That, that would be like another format for you to put out. And like, if they gave you a, a better royalty. You know, a lot of people say books don't pay. I didn't think that was the case until this. Um, granted, like it did, it wasn't a great split for the first book, but it got better after yeah. that. Oh, there's a publisher author split. Yeah. So like they basically do all of the work like logistically and you just have to write. Well, Is I mean, I, the... I did more than write. I was, I also was the creative and art director for the book. I was, we hired a photographer, but I basically chose all the direction of the visuals for the mm -hmm. photography. I did all the food styling. I did all the, oh, well, I, I, wow. I um, brought on some people to help me cook the food. Cause it was like, we, 
filmed in in six days. We took all the photos for the book. Wow, hundred over hundred recipes. We cooked in six days and photographed. So you do all of the content inside the book, and then the publisher does everything aside from that. And yep. then they do they pitch you on the idea, or do you pitch them on the idea? I'll never let somebody pitch me on an idea, and it better be really good. I've never, I don't like that kind of stuff. But a publisher would approach you and say, "Hey, we want to publish a book for mm -hmm. you. Do you have any ideas?" Yep. You pitch them on that. Yep. And then they either agree or decline to it, and then yeah. Depends, okay. Yeah, it depends on where you're at with them, right? Like, okay. I, I think I have a really good relationship with my publisher, so I could go to them and be like, I want to do this book, and they'd probably just be like, okay, cool, and we would go and do it. Sure. Um, but after that, um, yeah, it's pretty much like you said. You make all the content. They will put it all in a book and make it look nice, and they have editors that edit it for you, and they know how to do all the traditional things that would be done for the book. So, Distribution, yeah. printing has to be thought of because that shit can get expensive. But, like, when I was looking at sales and everything, I did the math, and, and um, you know, assuming that splits are good, but if I had self-published the book, I probably would have made about, granted, I would have to pay people, you know, so it would be a little bit less than this after paying a, you know, an editor and for distribution and everything, but the grant, the gross would be probably about $15 million on one book. That's insane. In the now, first year. Now, in fairness though, do you think you would have done that, even hiring out uh, with that book versus the publisher who already has those those resources and that knowledge like is that something proprietary to them that like it's I, not i feel like even if you hired it out it wouldn't it might not be the same quality that, that they're able to do right off the bat if you don't know what you're doing yeah it could go horribly wrong and i don't think we would have been able to do it because distribution at the time this was at the height of all of the you know, shortages of this and we don't have these materials and we don't have these materials. And you know what I'm talking about? Like height yeah. of uh, back end of COVID, but when there was like nothing left, they managed to distribute and print this book while nobody else could print their books. Mm -hmm. Like everyone was struggling printing books. And my publisher is the reason why we were able to put out so many books. I don't know. Imagine if we couldn't print books yeah, right. and we're getting all these orders. That'd be horrible. I mean, and, and so honestly, I got to hand it to them. Like they were, because they're so big, they were like reaching to, we were printing the book in Canada, in the US, in overseas, and like printing it in multiple parts of the world and like distributing them all over the place in order to, they had to coordinate yeah. all that. I mean, I don't know that I would have been able to do that on my yeah. own. How much do you think of that was just really good timing? Because issuing that book around COVID when everyone is at home, I feel like cooking would take uh, a lot more priority for a lot of people because they're home, they have the time. Partially, maybe. It may have been, t it was, this was actually more so on the tail end when people were already going back out and sure. eating and okay. things were getting a little more normalized. Definitely not 100%, but like families were getting together again. And it was it was much better than the height of COVID. Um, personally, I think it was good timing because people more people were cooking at the time uh, because people started cooking in COVID and then for some people it stuck. But other than that, um, maybe a little bit of good timing. Uh, I honestly am a big believer in brand and being honest and being good with your intentions. And I, I really am like, I care so much about what we do. And I think I've made that evident to my, you know, me being real in the sense of my craft that people just saw it and they bought because they know that I care. And I, that's what I think. That's why I think it happened personally, yeah. just because I, I feel like I've built a really good relationship where I'm like, look, this is what it is. Like, I don't, I don't fuck around with this stuff. Yeah. Do you want to open a restaurant? Yeah. Multiple. Where? everywhere but it's a process it's easier said than done some of these restaurants are really expensive to build you can't just like you know nowadays to build a restaurant you want to build a nice restaurant and and i'm and i'm not saying it has to be overly gaudy but you know the restaurant i want to build 
easily four or five million dollars that much starting cost yep wow and does that oh obviously that would include um rent for a building it would not include rent rent would be anywhere but i mean rent can be really high so are we just talking about the build out alone yep. for all the equipment four to five million plus you're probably looking another i don't know million and a half a year and just overhead i'm yep. guessing Rent can range anywhere from 20000 a month to 75000 a month uh, in Austin, depending where you are. There's a, a buddy of mine uh, works with a huge restaurant group, and they have a restaurant in Austin that's on South Congress. Or no, I'm sorry, not South Congress, um, South Lamar. And their rent is $85,000 a month. And no. it's not a huge building. Yeah, that's To me, that's exorbitant. That's like way too much. Yeah. Oh, go for it. I was going to say, it's not worth that much, in my opinion. What type of food would you make in the restaurant? Depends on which restaurant I want to open. I have multiple concepts uh, sort of already built out with menus and everything. But I think that I want to do uh, like a finer dining concept, like high, high, high fine dining. And then I, I think I have a, another concept that I, I can't really say, but it's sort of a midway point and very much like my style of cooking, like me incarnate. Um, and something I think people would really, really like, and that's the one that I'm probably going to lead with first and then just kind of build out from there. I like the concept of Beast Burger. I think Beast Burger is really cool. I think people love hamburgers. So maybe maybe there's like a fast food concept as well. Um, smash Burger. Yeah, I mean, like Smash Burgers are fun, but it's also an oversaturated market. There's so many burger places now. Mm-hmm. Everyone's doing a burger place. Um, I love the Dobricks concept. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I, you know, I'll tell you right now that once my restaurant drops, Good luck to everybody else that's starting their restaurant. Really? Yeah. I would love to. You know what would have been a, uh, maybe a a saucy video is dope bricks, but better. Yeah. Well, (laughs) anytime someone drops a concept, my first thought is like, let's do a collab and, uh, we'll make it, but better. But then we put that on your menu. It would do really well. Oh yeah. Do really well. And then do like, do that in waves. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. You would do that with dope bricks? Totally. If anyone here is watching, yeah. that has a connection. Yeah. That would be a great idea. Yeah. I think it would do really well. I think it would do really well. And it'd be a lot of fun for people too, because you know, you have your core menu and people know what they're going to get pepperoni, this and that, and this and that. But this gives you an opportunity to try something new on your menu in two ways. A, you can stress test it. Do people like it or not? They'll probably like it. And B, you, you're providing diversity to your, to your customer base. So they, they're going to come back and order again and again and again, but they know every once in a while they'll get something special. Uh, so, and then maybe down the line, you're like, this sold so well, I'm going to put this on the menu. And then maybe it becomes your new number one core menu item, which would be great. Yeah. And for a restaurant, how often are you supposed to change out the menu or offer newer items? Many restaurants don't change them like very often at all. Sometimes yeah. never. It depends on how much, how far behind you are. You know, if the restaurant's really old school and you haven't updated your menu in like 50 years, you got to look at it two ways. Either you need to stay that way and be, be Mr. Authentic traditional, or you need to Honestly, I've changed your menu like 20 years ago. Change sure. it to, to match the pace of the style. So maybe every 10, 15 years. Yeah. But it's not like a total overhaul. It's like little things here and there. You know what I would love to see you do? Um, I would love to see like a more realistic version um, of like, I forgot the name of the show, but it's like that, I think Gordon Ramsay was on it where they flip like a failing uh, oh, restaurant and they'd like change the menu and they do all this stuff. But maybe it's more like, just the menu part, because I think you're really good with food, and may, I'm sure there's businesses out there that are struggling with the direction of their menu. But I think for like a foodie audience, that would be, be really cool. cool, and it would bring people to the to the restaurant. I agree. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that would be fun to do. There's so many concepts that we could do. It's just my concern with that is legal. Ah, so there's a lot of legal yeah. stuff with that. You know, if something gets messed up and then their restaurant oh, dive bombs, sure. not good. I got a quick question. Do you have to have like elevated taste buds to be a good chef? Because <laughs> I, isn't it true that like like some people are just born with the ability to notice certain flavors that other people wouldn't notice or they're more sensitive to certain things? I think it's possible, but I don't know that I necessarily have. I mean, I guess I do, but it's hard. I mean, I started when I was five. So it's, it's sort trained. of like it's trained, you know, right. it's I've spent so much time. I can eat things that aren't that good. And in my there's two my brain is in two pieces when I'm eating it. And it's and let's say it's bad. One part of my brain is like it's food, whatever. I'm just going to eat this. And the other part of my brain is like, this is fucking shit. Whoever the fuck cooked this doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. I hate every second of this, you know, but it's like the professional and then the human being kind of like clashing a little bit. So I don't know. I mean. I do think you can train your palate. I think anyone can train their palate. And I think you can be born with maybe a higher sensitive sense, sensitivity to certain flavors. Like that's why certain people don't like things like fish or cheese or, you know what I mean? So I could see that. I got more questions, random ones. Okay, what do you think about In-N-Out from a foodie Oh, top tier. Really? I love In-N-Out, one of my favorite burger places. And I'll, I, 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 I can tell you why. So let me just address the elephant in the room. Their fries are ass. Okay, yeah. But you can order them well done, and they're a little better. I don't go for the fries. I go for the burger. First off, the price is completely unbeatable. I Unbelievably agree. unbeatable. Have they raised their prices with inflation or no? I don't it's know. It's still like $2.75. Oh Not much, though. Yeah. I mean, they figured it out, food cost. You know, they figured that out big time. But it's more so the whole experience. You go to any other burger restaurant, it, it genuinely feels like they sat on the fucking burger before you ate it. I mean, every time it is so far away from what you really initially desired that it's just like, why the fuck did you even go here? But you go to, I'm sorry, guys, I have a foul mouth. That's if, fine. if it's not evident, no, you're good. I've just realized I'm the only one cussing in here. I don't know if that's like a no, no. Um, I work, I, I worked in we the restaurant. We want the guests to be themselves. I worked in the restaurant yeah. industry my entire professional life. It's like totally screwed my vocabulary in that mm -hmm. sense that being said um so anyway the burger when you get a burger it's just like beautiful every time the presentation it's like perfectly wrapped the lettuce is poking out i mean stylistically when i look at that i eat with my eyes before i eat so i see that and i'm like that's great i appreciate mm -hmm. that i feel good about eating this they put effort in this and then the flavor is so consistent i mean it's just always good but I don't know. Maybe it's nostalgia. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> raise a point of contention here. I actually, th I, I think In-N-Out, sure, yes, it's the best fast food burger. Yes, 100%, especially value considered. Uh, but I do think that there can be some variance and inconsistency with not only the flavor, but also the texture. Sometimes I go and the buns are harder mm. than other times. But I eat a ton of In-N-Out, so I have like a lot. Oh, this guy has like of, data I don't yes, even have. Yeah. yeah. Got a spreadsheet. So it's it's really good, but sometimes Monday the twenty seventh. Exactly. <laughs> no, you'd be you'd be yeah. surprised. Firmness. You know? There yeah. are times where you go and you're just a little underwhelmed. You thought you knew what to expect, and he's tracking like an short. inflation chart, oh, but yeah. it's but it's based off of uh, In and Out burgers. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the <laughs> that's graph. Exactly yeah. it. Yeah, that'd so, be a fun tweet. Right. Um, yeah, I, I well, you know, it still is great. It's great. Any restaurant has inconsistency, unless it's like a three Michelin if they want to maintain their stars. But like most restaurants have inconsistency. It's just a matter of how much that, how often that's happening. I'm, I've actually never ran into it. I will say, half the time I've eaten in and out, I might not have been sober. Yeah, fair, sure. <laughs> At two a.m. Yeah. So, 
another question. When someone says, I want to thank the chef, you know, <laughs> did they ever pull you out of the kitchen? Did that ever happen to you where they had to thank you? Most of the time in the restaurants that I've worked at, the people are kind of afraid of you low key. They're like afraid of disrespecting you, which is a really weird power complex that happens mm. in restaurants. And I know if there are any line cooks or chefs watching this, they absolutely know what I'm talking about. Where there's a certain, you ever go into a nice restaurant and you're kind of like, okay, let me not act stupid. Still working one. So you, do you know what I'm talking about then? Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was a but. It wasn't like a nice, nice restaurant. It was a good steakhouse. It was a yeah. good, good and there's steakhouse. but there's like a certain respect people have. So a lot of the time, they would thank us through the waiter or waitress. Mm -hmm. They would tell their waiter or waitress, "Oh my God, this was really good. Can you please tell whoever made this?" And so, and you always like throw a little party whenever that happened. It was a it was the best feeling ever. So like, I remember I, I'd be cooking, and make and I, you know maybe it's really crazy, and then they'd go like, "Hey Josh, that A five steak." They said they wanted to kiss you, and then the whole kitchen. Like the whole kitchen is just like, yeah. everyone's like screaming. And then oh, the, really? um, it's like this huge, that's one of the beauties of working in a restaurant. That's why you get so attached. It's like a brotherhood camaraderie. Uh, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Like Josh is on fire tonight or like whoever, whoever's doing it. And then um, they're like, sometimes like the other stations will like make food for you and send it out and get, send it to your, your station instead of a table. And you'd like, you know, get it like a plate as like a reward or something. So, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's a reminder to thank the chef more. Yeah. Never yeah. really do that. Have you ever Never done that? The way I that don't it, think so. The way that it uplifts yeah. the kitchen is unreal. Really? Even if, if the kitchen's in a bad spot or or even if the kitchen's in, in a good spot, it doesn't matter. If somebody says, if somebody takes the time to go to the kitchen and tells, you know, so-and-so, hey, this was really good. If it's a healthy kitchen, and by healthy, I mean like good attitudes and mm. not toxic, everyone's going to get so hype. Really? How often is it though that someone complains or sends something back and you know it's like this is BS, it's perfect. <laughs> I hate to say it, I haven't worked a lot of restaurants that's happened at right. a ton, but it does happen. Most of the time it's pretty low key, nothing really happens. Every once in a while it's really bad and they're like, you know, they want something redone. But normally like honestly, if they send something back, we're, we, the restaurants I've worked for were really smart. They always were like, you don't like it? No worries. Even if they're being a dick, yeah. we'd just be like, cool. What would you like? That's free. You can either eat it or we'll toss it. What would you like? You want this? Cool. Done. And we just remake it. Call it a day. We just like extinguish the problem immediately. I never got exploited. Like some guys like, oh, I could just go and complain every time I come here and get two for the <laughs> every <week."> time I <laughs> come. Well, coming in the next day, oh the next God. day is, oh, this steak sucks again. We've, def we've definitely had some stuff like that before. We'll throw them out of the restaurant. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll throw them out of the restaurant. And what happens to all the food that gets uneaten? Because sometimes I see plates where it's oh, like. Oh, my God. Like oh, it gets ravaged the by the people in the back. Does it? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> whoa, whoa. In what restaurant are you? Good <laughs> Dude, I was a busboy, so like, if any food got sent back, you'd know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm eating good. Chowing down. Yeah. That's nasty. <laughs> bro, I know. Bro, what if someone has like has something? Well, you know, I like. What to if think they don't? I'm tuning my immune system, so yeah, I got stronger. Smart. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. I hate seeing wasted food. <laughs> Like I see when someone gets up and they have half their plate, and I'm looking at that thing. They could take that home. Oh, he, I could take that home. He has been at a. It was a sushi restaurant, right? Yeah. And the guy next to you, he wasn't finishing his sushi. You went to this man at another table and asked him for the food. <laughs> no way. Yeah, Graham. It was no. half a dare. You it was cannot. many years ago. It oh, was half it was a, a dare. dare. Half a dare. What do you mean half the a dare? Half I I joked and I'm like, he's not going to finish that because they paid already and like half the plate was just uneaten. It was sushi. 
And I'm like, I wonder if he's going to finish that. Like, it's going to get thrown out. And it was really good. And so a buddy was like, you should just ask him. Like, really? You think that's weird? He's like, no, just ask. And I think he was on a date, too. And I'm like, no, man, it's going to be weird. Are you going to finish that? And he looks down. It's like, no. I was like, can I have it? And he's like, sure. Oh, my God. (laughs) That guy must have fucking. I bet he still tells that story today. (laughs) I bet he does. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you're watching this, here he is. Maybe, you know what? We need, we, we need Monica, the people so. to go and find this guy. Somebody yeah. needs to go and like, yeah. I don't know. If yeah, you actually, gotta go buy this guy. You know, it was with the story. Was it Saki House in Santa Monica? This must have been like 2016. That's so not like, it's not that long. The people ago, will but, do their magic. You guys yeah. know what to do. Find this man for yeah. us. Yeah. And he must have been on a first date. You should take him he out was on, on a, a date. First date, probably. I don't know. It's, it seemed like a first date. Like they gave first date vibes. I don't know. Oh man, turns out it's like his wife of 50 years or something like that. What if that started a fight? She's like, you shouldn't have gave him that food. <laughs> I wanted it. We could have taken that home. Yeah, we could have taken that home. That's leftovers. Maybe they're not together anymore because of that. Yeah. Maybe. There's, a, there's so many domino effects that could have happened in that moment. You never know. When food is sent back, I never, ever wanted to eat it off the plate. So that's right. wilding that's, to that's me. Fine. But that being said, um, yeah, it's usually, the, the waste in restaurants is exorbitant. It's Graham, if you saw how much waste is in a restaurant, it's oh, it's sickening. No. It's sickening. It's really bad. Some restaurants are good about it, but even the ones that try to be good at it, it is really bad. Why? To the point where uh, it depends. I mean, in fine dining, uh, this is something that's not talked about a lot. In fine dining, you know, you want everything to be perfect. Vegetables don't come perfectly shaped. You need to cut them to be perfectly shaped. Meat doesn't come perfectly shaped. You need to cut it to be perfectly shaped. Which means what happens to all the trim? When you're trimming it down to get a perfect little square on a piece of meat, what happens to all the little strips of meat that you just cut off? Right? We try to reuse it. It doesn't always get reused. Sometimes it's not reusable. It should have a junk plate. Like every fine dining, well, maybe not a fine dining. Restaurant, but like a you have that plate, one you know, table in the corner, go, the junk table. Yeah, the junk I mean, table. Well, you go there, you get a discounted meal. It's all the the garbage. All the trim. As, I mean, it's it's funny. It's a funny idea. It it wouldn't be a bad. What I would do, I'm giving this shit away for free. This is what I I will be doing. So for to go orders, you have a to go order menu that's totally separate. So you have some of your menu items, but it's a, it's a slightly different menu just for to-go orders, right? You had a couple new items on there that you can't get in-house, and then you use the trim to make some of those things. So let's say you have a short rib dish, right? And you're cutting the short rib all nice, and it's like sous vide for several hours, falls apart, right? You take all that short rib trim, you shred it up, and then you press it into a pan, so it's like a flat layer. You weigh it down, you cut it into little squares or rod or whatever shape you want, you pan sear it. And it's like a crispy little like shredded beefcake. It's nice. Make that a to-go menu item. Now you've used a trim. You didn't throw it away. And you made money off of it. You you made a better margin on your overall food cost. And you provided value with a new item for to-go orders. The expectation mm-hmm. is a lot lower with to-go food. It's lower, but also you can make something nice out of it if you're creative. You can make anything out of anything if you're creative. So I think trim can be used, but most restaurants don't use it. Mm-hmm. So then when you start to add that up, think about like, let's say... Um, you know, a, a, a trash can, right? The big restaurant trash cans. You know which one I'm talking about? The ones that are fucking horrible to yeah. fill with the bag. Yeah. Let's say six of those get rotated maybe three to four times in a night filled with some garbage, but a lot of those items like trim and just stuff that goes bad and mm. vegetables and stuff that falls in the ground and sauce gets spilled, which happens all the time. I mean, that every day. 
mm. almost, almost, you know, like maybe, I don't know, 300 days out of the year, even more, 350 days out of the year for one restaurant, wow. for one restaurant. Yeah, so there's tons of trash. How would you take these experiences for your own restaurant? I mean, sustainability, being ethical, paying people really well. And I mean, trying to, it's hard to address them all, right? If it was easy to address, then all restaurants would be doing it. It is hard to do. So, I mean, I, I kind of want to go in with that kind of energy of like trying to hit all those points. Let, let's talk about real quick, uh, paying people well. What do you think about the whole uh, tip culture in America? Do you think that we should just pay servers X amount more and then mark up prices X amount more because it, like a, a certain level tip should be expected yeah. to be able to pay them a certain wage? Or do you think that, no, they're a service-based industry, like they can make more money by providing excellent service? What, what's your take on that? And uh, that does, this doesn't mean you would do it, but what, what model do you think you would do in your, your restaurant? It's really hard. I don't know what model I'm going to do, so I can't, I can't sure. say what that is because there's so many decisions that have to go into it. Um, it's tough, right? Because, I mean, it makes sense why tips exist. But I think t it sucks that that only waiters and waitresses get the tips. What about the people that are cooking the food? Normally they don't. So it's tough when you're like, you know, let's say, uh, you know, a, a lead line cook and you've been working at that restaurant for three and a half years and you get paid, let's say, 13 or $14 an hour. Um, and meanwhile, you know, a waiter or waitress is making $100,000 a year and you're just sitting there like, like, you don't even care about what you're doing, but I'm back here and I've dedicated my entire life to this and I'm really good at it. And I make stuff that people love that takes so much time to create like and come up with. And like some plate, some dishes take like months to come mm -hmm. up with. So I would try to make it in a way that it's financial. It financially behooves everyone as much as possible. But I really don't know what it's going to look like until I start working on the restaurant. Uh, but I, I can at least say that that's something that's at top of mind for me, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I know with Sugarfish, they do the no tipping it's just, it's included. I, I don't even know if it's a, uh, a set amount that gets added on. I think it's just built into the menu. And then you just pay and you're done. Um, but I've also seen a lot about tipping fatigue, where I even went to like some random like supermarket sort of place. It was like one of those little convenience stores. And just checked out. Yeah, and they turned around. <laughs> the turn. And yeah, I'm just going to press a few uh, buttons right here. Yeah, just yeah. press a few buttons <laughs> but, right but here. But this was something where it's like, just scan a few items and then turn it around. It wasn't like a service or anything. And I look at that thinking like, I don't want to be that guy who's like, no tip. So I put something, but then I'm like, is 10% insulting? But then again, he just turns it around. Like, but but that's everywhere now. And I feel like it, it's it's turning people off. I I... Heard, I think it was Valuetainment was mentioning that people are now tipping less because of that feature, just yeah. overall. I could see that. Yeah. It's I, like oil change, and they asked for a tip. Are you, <laughs> I got oil change. I swear to God, I got it. out of hand. Oh, wait, no, it was a smog test. It, was a, it wasn't an oil change. How was your service? It was a smog 20 test. 20%. Great. No, but the thing is, it was a cheap smog test. Like, I think it was like, 50, like $20. No. And then when I checked out, they had the tip feature. And I always, whenever they flip the thing around, I'm like, you know what? I'm expecting, I'm going to tip. And I always click the middle one, whatever it is. So my finger, a default, went to the middle one. I'm like, stupid, I'm tipping for a smog test, but sure, I'll click the middle one. And I look, and as my finger is pressing, it's like 72%. What? I swear to God. Can they, set, can they set their own? Yes. Okay, so we like, need to follow this guy around wow. and make sure he it was doesn't like, spend yes. money like yeah, that. It, it, was, it was like 52. I think it was like 26, 52, and then like 70. 26 was like the bottom? But the thing, yeah. But the thing is, it was wow. such a cheap oil change that I think they like expect people to tip a bunch. Because it wasn't like like the owner was the one that was like, you know, that would receive Wait, oil the Oil change or smog test? 
or sorry, smog test, smog test. Yes. The owner of the smog place like was checking me out. So the tip would go to him. So I'm basically just paying more for the smog test. I wonder so, if there's got to be like a tax thing going on there. Like maybe tips are done differently or maybe it's what, what is it done with Stripe? I believe it. I have no clue. Maybe they process, uh, it, they get probably a fee too on that tip. So possibly. they're making more money the more you tip. Because imagine I, if every one of your transactions now pays an average of 10% more. Yeah. 10% more revenue just for turning that yeah. thing around. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. That's that's whack. I always think it's funny whenever I go to a coffee shop and then I'm like, you know what? Actually, I'm just going to get like a bottle of juice and a water and like maybe one of the prepackaged snacks. And then I see the tip thing and I'm like, do I tip? Because I just grabbed this out of the refrigerator and then just bought yeah. it. You know what? I wouldn't be bothered as much by it if it weren't anonymous, but I know like they see it and they turn around and I'm always like just expecting. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. But I'm the thing is if they recognize like, I don't wanna, you too, yeah, then that's, like, that's, a, that's another thing because yeah, you're yeah. known as like, oh, the millionaire guy. You yeah, know? I don't want to be like. When I, when I checked out at the smog thing, I, I pushed, it was like 52%. The guy recognized me. So it really? ended up working in my favor. Yeah. Oh, wow. Gave me a trinket. Yeah. My fiance and I now like sometimes, uh, you know, I don't know if we like watch a movie or something and I'll be like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, let's go watch, you know, TV show or something for like an hour and then we'll watch something. And then right afterwards she'll pull out the iPad or something and be like, <laughs> <laughs> and then like look away and look away. Yeah. yeah kind of like, yeah, like, just, I have a few options. Yeah. You to, rate your experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I always wonder like, like yeah. when is it going to slow down? Like what other, I don't know, businesses are they going to extend that whole tipping that thing to? I mean, it's smog test. It's even on YouTube now. Have you seen the tip feature on YouTube? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. You can turn it on. I recommend turning it on in your channel. Every now and then people will send you a tip. And I get a notification on my phone that like so-and-so's tip. And you could tip anything from like a dollar to, I don't know, a few hundred. But when I see that little tip feature, I'm like, you know, usually it's with a comment and I'll respond back. But yeah. I just thought of the next level business idea. What? So when I invoice Graham, I'm just going to do it in person okay. and I'm going to do the same thing. And you know what? And he knows me. So so I'm going to judge him based on it. And I'm going to make That's the good. middle one like 52%. Yeah, yeah it's going to be yeah. on. It's, and turn the, camera, it's a, turn the camera on on the screen too so yeah. you can see his reaction. Yeah, it's it's going to be on um, on Paychex too. I guarantee like no they'll, they'll way. find Get a way to give that to employers. Isn't that a they bonus? A great. Is that no, not a bonus? A bonus seems too formal, but a tip seems like, hey, you did a good job this week. Let me. Uh, that, that's yeah. a bonus. That's a bonus. I, I think when I think bonus, I think of a performance bonus or I think end of year bonus or like something like that. But I think just on if let's say you're paid every other week, you wouldn't get a bonus every other week. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Okay. I could see this extending. It's like a relaxed other. bonus. Basically. Sure. Yeah. Crazy. An informal bonus. But a bonus, I feel like, is something you would expect or work towards. A bonus. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, at this point. Yeah, you know, but I mean, businesses are uh, more and more every year. Businesses are kind of getting more. Uh, I feel like picked apart in a way, which for the good and maybe not for the good at the same time. I don't know. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. I feel like with Twitter um, being what it is, I just feel like businesses are kind of being pushed more to be more ethical and better in many good ways. But then there's other elements where I'm like, why is anyone even talking about this? Just like go fucking get a job. Go, you know what I mean? Or I don't Give know. Give me an example. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I've seen some of the uh, Drew Gooden. Was it Drew Gooden who was talking about the uh, the, tw the Twitter wars between companies? Oh, I never saw that. Yeah, basically companies like um, 
Taco Bell were getting in arguments with like Del Taco over like this stuff on Twitter. I think it's hilarious. What? Or, like, there, Home, oh, I have to Home see Home Depot this. will be. I don't think that's what like, he was talking about. What but, are you thinking? What What am I thinking? Yeah. Of? I, what are you wait, talking I thought about? You were talking about like companies trying to. I mean, how do I put this? No, in, like, I, I was thinking. I was what? thinking broad stroke from like a. Yeah. From like employee to company rather than a company oh, to company. Definitely, we're talking oh, about different yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So, well, because we were wait, what were we originally talking about that I that I leaned into this? Uh, tipping, tipping, bonus structures, bonus structure. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you're talking about bonus structure, tipping, and all these different things. I feel like, in general, from a society standpoint, because of like Twitter, there's a lot of conversation around like trying to be more ethical and being better for, you know. The people yes. and l being less geared towards you know these mass monopolies and how do we make people's lives better which i think is good and important it's just like but there's sometimes you see a tweet where you're just like i don't know about that like that seems like it's not a good addition to the club and so when you start talking about like tipping here tipping there it's like at what point do we draw the line you know what i mean is it going to be drawn at Business is tipping. <laughs> CBS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for my ibuprofen. <laughs> the receipt's going to be that long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow they'll find a way to make yeah. it longer. I don't know. I don't think there's ever going to be a line that's drawn. I think it's constantly going to be pushed and moved around, and it's just going to be whatever the general sentiment is at the time. I think people, they're getting to the breaking point. Because people are finally starting to talk about the, the that's true the tipping flip. thing now it's, becoming it's starting a joke. to happen yeah. good point yeah and uh, I think that there will be an uprising a tipping revolution so you mean more tipping or or or, or I think people are going to be like no more tipping like no like like tipping where tipping is reasonable yeah the thing is like if I check out at it doesn't happen at Starbucks but some like you know I get an acai bowl Starbucks now does tipping they do yeah. Okay, I use the app pay, so I, I uh, guess it doesn't. Smart. That's how you get around. That's how you get around. You got to bring cash everywhere. Just yeah, paying now. cash. Up. Yeah, yeah. But no, um, I, I don't know. I think uh, I think that there will be an uprising, and people will be like, "Okay, I'm not going to do this anymore." Yeah. At least where it's it's uh, you know not not necessarily like pe people aren't performing a long service yeah. for you. But you I know what? Everywhere you go, people provide a service. Like imagine going yeah, to your doctor's service. office and you have a tip thing. Oh there. my god! It's just it's everything a is a service. Me for a tip, I would lose my mind. <laughs> just perform the surgery. How happy were you with your service? Yeah, you no, but they no, ask oh for the god. tip beforehand. <laughs> yeah, doc, you make five hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year. I'm not tipping you. Sorry. It's just weird how like an acai bowl could be a twenty five percent tip, and that's like the middle button, right? And then you go to a restaurant, and the person literally serving you pouring That's you water true. doing all this stuff and the difference in service is just like crazy yeah but in although yeah sure the price of the acai bowl is yeah. smaller so the, the actual monetary gain from but the, the percentage gets the yeah. but it's the same percentage yeah which for me effort is, doesn't really make sense it's effort and effort skill. and time yeah and time like an, a, a waiter or waitress is serving you for an hour at least mm -hmm. This is uh, some you know I, I I here's the thing I don't want to say anything that would make it feel like a service, uh, somebody working in service doesn't deserve to make more money. I think they need more money. I think it's good. I think tipping is good and I want them to get tipped. But it's like, it's not really being measured appropriately is what I think, or at least accurately. You Why not like five, 10, you know, 15, 12 or something like that? But then again, like, the price is lower though. That's they, the other thing. But the service is lower. That's true. But the ultimate tip is also going to be lower every time. If you go to, well, I guess maybe not with a coffee shop. No, because you're dropping like so 20, 20 bucks. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I feel like you could probably generate potentially more in a coffee shop because the, there's a line. It's just like boom, 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 boom. I think know? what would make sense is if the tips were pooled and they went to everybody, mm -hmm. then it might feel better. But I feel like the tips with restaurants that are the biggest problem is that they go to one person. They yeah. didn't, uh, your restaurants, they didn't tip out the busters and the hostesses and whatnot? did. 
I always assumed that it was. They, they, t- they actually tipped the kitchen. So at mine, that the chefs would get tipped as well as actually, they were the only people that worked in the restaurant that got paid higher than minimum wage, the chefs at my restaurant. Huh. Not the ones that I worked at. Interesting. Yeah, there was no tipping for that. As far as I remember, I, I don't ever remember anything tipped, but there are more places doing it. There are new restaurants that are actually having chefs be waiters at the same time. They would cook their food and then wow. they would run food and then they would get tipped out. So they'd get their, their salary or hourly and then they would get tipped out as well what as waiters a, that's got to be so stressful if you're good balancing both okay well usually it's with the way that you systematize the line and everything like you basically switch off i think i've never worked in a restaurant like that but i've heard about it got so it. i'm not sure how the full system works but it's cool yeah make more money yeah so i i just have two things to say here before we we wrap up the episode the first i just want to thank lexar my oh, official right. card sponsor what happened to but the card Graham, camera? you took the ca- you took the card out of my camera I did? Yes. Why, why do you think? Why is it missing? Because you're the only person who takes cards out of cameras around here. Uh, no, Jack did. Don't you dare try to when defer we blame on me. I did not with touch my fam. the card in that camera. My fam. I had my so own card. Anyway, that was somebody my... took my Lexar card. I'm going to be asking Lexar if they would send me another one. But I'll take another one. Too. Uh, I want one, too. <laughs> you want, you want uh, sorry, a Lexar card? Sorry, Lexar. You want a Lexar card, Josh? I'll t- yeah, I would. Sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure. So anyway, thank you, Lexar. But the next thing that I want to mention is, uh, Josh. Actually, during this podcast, um, I actually thought of the perfect uh, uh, Christmas gift for my wife. So I ordered your cookbook. Oh it's yes, coming today. But if she asks, you gave it to me on this podcast, and it was a gift because I'm not trying to send any mixed messages. Okay, so oh. I just need you to back me up on that. Okay, Alex, Done. it would have been amazing. Hey, would you have been oh, able to sign, to it? sign yeah. it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my sorry gosh. about that. Well, why don't you do this? You, you can keep that book, and then I'll send all you guys books. <gasps> oh you. my wow. gosh, that would be great. Done. That would be cool. That would be amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I also have some bankroll coffee for you too. Yeah, we'll link to your info uh, in the description along with your uh, cookbook. I'm excited to get that. Yeah, Yeah, it'll be fun. You guys will get, I'll send a little little couple things for you guys to try. Send you some salt. Uh, it'll be good. <laughs> All right. You know what? I could get uh, Nick DiGiovanni's salt. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. Do <laughs> What's that? No, you Osmo got your own salt? salt? Yeah. Well, now I have to make my own salt for you. you come on, man. Salt. Come yeah. on, come on, come on. Uh, Nick's a good guy. He's a sweet guy. So, Paul. what do you think of him? He's a good guy. Yeah, sweetie. What about Gordon Ramsay? Is he a good chef? Gordon Ramsay. Well, I mean, I don't know Nick's background to be honest. Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, he was like, Master Chef. He was one of the finalists. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what restaurants he worked at, though. Um, but I know that it, he, I think he's cooked in food before. But I met yes. him once and we had a, we had a really good time. Yeah. We like chatted for a little you bit. You should be doing a collab with him. Yeah. I think that would blow up the internet. Yeah. See, imagine you two going, uh, going off against uh, Gordon Ramsay and he's the one who like taste tests the food. Yeah. That'd be fun. No, it would be, you got to include all the guys. You got to have Guga. Gotta have Babish, yeah. All those guys, uh, yeah. All competing for the just title. like the the Marvel universe. That, that would be a Matt Stoney eating it. <laughs> yeah, Dude, yeah. That would be insane. Matt Stoney passes away on this one. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you guys for having me on the Thanks. podcast. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Make sure to get your free and stock down below in the description. Public.com/slash/gram. Wow. Their sponsor. Usually Thank speak you. over each other? Yes. All the time. Yeah. Wow. Guys, follow me on Instagram real quick. Like, Thank you so much for watching. At the end of the podcast yeah. episode, yeah. when people are shouting out stuff, we always interrupt the other person yeah. shouting out. 